All right. I do believe we are live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules live stream. I am your host, Lev Polyakov. It is a great pleasure to be here with all of you guys today. We are going to be having another one of those different worlds that you would never expect to meet, end up meeting up type of situations. We have Trisha Kafari, a.k.a. Dan Fan, and we have Ramon Gill. Ramon, you are the head of Diversity Comic Con. You created Diversity Comic Con. And uh, Dan Fan, you've been making videos about your opinions on comics. And, of course, we have the wonderful, the one and only Mass Bastard joining in. We are going to have a couple of more people coming in as the stream goes on. Aiden Paladin is going to be joining us. Stardust is going to be joining us. I believe Gnostic Informant is going to be joining us towards the end as well. But anyway, listen, if you guys want to support what this is all about, BTR, what you have to do is subscribe right now, add a like, it's going to help the algorithm out tremendously, and sneed those super chats, that is very important. So anyway, I am going to start this off with uh, Ramon. Ramon, please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into Diversity uh, Comic Con, and also just your general stance on where you see social justice going in the world of comics. And we're going to start from there. That's a lot of questions, but um, Diversity Comic Con, let's see. Well, first, um, a little bit about you, just so people have a bit of a background on who Ramon Gill is. Okay, my name is Ramon Gill. Uh, I started off as a comic book illustrator back in the 90s. Discovered that I hated it, and I couldn't make a living off of it. So I went into advertising for 20-some years, and then back in 2014, I decided to uh, go back into it um, as a writer, uh, but I just recently got my master's in illustration, so now I'm doing it as an artist as well. Uh, so that's basically it in a nutshell. Um, and the Diversity Comic Con, how did that come about? Well, I teach at, um, at FIT in New York. And um, I'd always run this meetup group called a Comic Arts Workshop. Uh, and it's it's my way of networking with with uh, comic book professionals. It's a way for me to get to know them because I don't go to a bar con. I don't go to the bars after the comic con, so I, I can't network there. Um, and then while I was doing this, um, a good friend of mine, Fabrice Polsky, uh, launched um, Jewish Comic Con in Brooklyn. And so my friends and he was telling me I should start an Asian Comic Con, and I thought about it. And then a friend of mine told me to go to this diversity workshop at FIT where they, we learn how to propose grants or propo um, grant proposals, make grant proposals. So it occurred to me that I could do a diversity comic con at FIT. And so I proposed it. And what was nice about it was that it's, it's not like a regular comic con where I have to make money. It's basically a grant funded event. Right. So as long as as long as people are learning and people are having a good time and FIT is getting some exposure, then that's fine. But the funny thing about uh, Diversity Comic Con and is that when I when I filled out the grant proposal, one of the other instructors told me that it's not going to get approved because it's got a money making component in it, which is against the rules. So I was thinking to myself, you know, OK, I'll, that's uh, that's darn. I guess I'll just try again next year. I already submitted the proposal with a with a money making component, so I thought that was it. I wasn't going to get it, and then I get an email that says you've been your your, your proposal has been approved. Please uh, come see the VP of diversity. So I thought, what the hell is going on? You know, wait, what's a, what's a VP of diversity? 
he's in charge of making sure that there are events uh, that are that are diversity focused, making sure that there are programming, making sure that I don't know about hiring or 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 um, or getting supply uh, vendors and stuff like that. But definitely, he was he you know he he made sure that there were things that were going on that were that were all about diversity. Mm. So, so anyways, I thought I, w- I didn't get this grant, but I did. And I, w- I, I couldn't figure out why I got the grant when I, when I broke the rules. So well, I figured, okay, I'll, make, I'll, I'll meet with this guy and I won't say anything about the, about the, the, the um, money-making part, right? And I showed up at his office and the whole office was full of Batman memorabilia. And that's how, <laughs> that's how I got the diversity. Ah, there we go. He, he was a fan. He loves, he really loves comics. He was a fan. Yeah, that's so. great. So, so as far as uh, diversity goes, I want to go to Dan Fan a bit, but just your general opinion of what you see going on in the comic books industry today when it comes to not just diversity, but in general, social justice. Where do you see uh, social justice figuring in comics right now? Well, I think we need to, I need to clarify some things. First of all, there are... There are two industries in comics today, right? There's the Marvel DC. That's one industry. We're talking about the mostly superhero stories, right? And then we're then there's another industry called the the original graphic novel industry, which is uh, which is the thick bound books that are by like Raina Tagelmeier and Dave Pilkey and other people like that. And these are self-contained stories. And not always, and mostly not about superheroes. So there are two different industries. Now, uh, the superhero comic book industry, right, um, has been around for like since the 30s, and it started out much more diverse as far as the kind of genres it, it had. And now you have basically mainly superheroes being produced by Marvel, DC, maybe Image, uh, Dark Horse, IDW, um, and Dynamite. I think those are the top ones. Um, and in those cases, even though there was some social justice going on in previous decades, I think they poured it on now because now there's a commercial reason. Now, the problem with, with, with superhero comic books is that in the 90s, when they, went, when, they, when they gave up selling at newsstands and supermarkets and went directly to direct market, they lost the ability to recruit uh, young kids to read their comic books. Because if you think about it, like a seven-year-old can go to the supermarket with their kids to pick up some comic books. But once comic books were only available in comic book shops, what seven-year-old kid can travel five, six miles to the nearest comic book store, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So they, lost their, they lost their ability to recruit young kids. And so, and then after the 90s, that's when comic books started getting really dark. Right, it became more and more for mature audiences, and partly because of that, because they were because they now had the same audience getting older and older and are getting new audience, but also because you were and I've talked to several creators who come in and they wanted to do grittier stories because these guys grew up on '80s and '70s Batman, right, and then they get into comic books for a dream, and then you know what, I want to make something that's different from like you know the old '50s '60s style. Batman. I want to make dark, gritty Batman, right? So, so you had you had creators who wanted to do more mature stories, and it just so happens that 
the audience was not growing. If anything, it was getting older and maybe even shrinking as people are grew comics. And so that's why, that's part of the reason, not the only one, that's part of the reason why um, you don't have a, uh, print runs of, right now, if a comic book makes 5,000, uh, sells 5,000 copies, that's pretty considered pretty good. Whereas in the 70s and 80s, you know, these comic books were making hundreds of thousands, if not millions. So that plus, you know, all the other things like video games and smartphones and the internet and cartoons seven days a week now instead of just Saturdays. So all these compete with comics. So, so now you have these uh, companies who are, who are trying to either hang on to the audience they have or they're thinking, that, you know, maybe you can get a good audience by, by putting more diversity into the comic books. You know, uh, we'll do a black this, or we'll do a Muslim that, or we'll we'll uh, we'll make this character a woman. I mean, I think um, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I like it, but uh, I think that the the motivation is a little bit different when it comes to superhero comic books. Unlike graphic novels made by uh, by, and the business model here is different because in superhero gra- in, uh, work, everything is work for hire or at least with Marvel and DC. But with graphic novels, it's like the author model. We're in like book authors, like somebody creates a work and then the publisher licenses it to get it to print it. But the author uh, keeps the keeps the rights to everything, right? And I think the authors that are coming out of the graphic novel industry are much, much more diverse. And their stories are much more personal because these are memoirs, these are coming of age, you know. Um, and so to me, um, because the authors are diverse and because the stories are authentic and of their own, to me, that's a much more realistic or authentic um, use of diversity in, in, the, in the art form as opposed to superhero comics where it's all about, to me, it's all about the money. Mm. I'm sure you have, sure you have, you have, you have um, writers who are bringing in who are diverse and, most, and often they, they, they grab these writers from the graphic novel industry, like, like uh, Jean Lian Yang, you know, who did that Chinese Superman. I mean, he did the Chinese uh, graphic novel uh, called uh, American Born Chinese and some other ones for a long time before they put, oh, let's get this guy to do a Chinese Superman. And maybe we can get more, more Asian people to read Superman. You know, so. Well, I mean, I definitely, I, yeah. It, it definitely all is all about the money. Diversity. Yeah. It definitely is all about the money when it comes to uh, the uh, corporate interest. My question would be more around the gatekeeping aspect of the publishers, too, and we can get into that a little bit as well, as far as what are some of the things that end up being spread out the most from the publishers as opposed to more of the independent, uh, like, no-publisher route, which I don't even know if that's possible. But I want to get to uh, Dan Fan, get your experience on what uh, Ramon was just talking about as far as do you agree with him about the trajectory of the comics uh, as far as their audience uh, becoming more of this edgier one and now not really having that much of an audience as uh, compared to when it did, as well as where do you see the social justice angle in the both professional um, DC Marvel comics as well as the graphic novels with the publishers. And also tell us a little bit about yourself as well for all the people who do not know about the great Trisha Kufari and her wonderful videos about uh, reading the comics, uh, including the one that I recently read about uh, uh, Catwoman with her poor cat, the father putting her poor little kitty cat on top of the uh, door and the cat falling and for some reason it died because it fell down, which I didn't understand. But anyway, go for it. 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I do indie comics myself. I make videos about the different comics, especially the DCYA comics, which are, yes, very, very awful. Uh, but to some extent, I can, I can kind of see that. I mean, I grew up mostly in like the early 2000s. And when I was growing up, the most where of where we got comics would be in like the school library or, you know, just a local library in general, or of course at those book fairs, uh, which usually are run by Scholastic, I, I think. But yeah, and uh, I never ever saw any like Marvel or DC comics included in the libraries or at these book fairs. And I think it was because they were aiming for like an older audience at that point in time. So I didn't actually get into reading them till like way later in my life. Uh, but yeah, what are the other questions? <laughs> it's like the well, whole... the, the yeah, the main one is the social justice angle. That's the uh, big question here as far as how much was that pivot because of this potential untapped market that the uh, corporate interests were seeing there? And what exactly was the reaction? Because, you know, there are videos out there that talk about how, oh, there's all these SJW comics out there and, you know, they're very unpopular. Everybody hates them. Is that the case? Or is that just being in a bubble? And really what is going on is there is this newfound audience for these comics. And right. even if people may not agree with, uh, you know, people who don't like them may not agree with them, they do have their audience and it's getting bigger and bigger because of various internet trends. I don't know. Yeah, I think the whole social justice crowd is just like what evolved from what was like the more rebellious crowd, which you could argue starts at like the teenagers, the younger audience. You know, they've, they've been making um, movies and media that kind of follows the same trends that we're seeing today. But today it's just taken to such an extreme that it's too much, you know? Uh but I don't, I don't think that the, the audience is there so much anymore. The younger generation is, of course, changing. And eventually, like, what becomes the new norm is what's going to be rebelled against in the teenage phase. So if you're making this, you know, the new norm, then people are going to be going against that. And I'm referring to a bunch of different things when I when I say that, of mm. course, not just like social justice or um, there's just a lot of different talking points that are usually pushed in a lot of these younger comics that I've been reading. The most prominent being like protesting almost every single teenage comic that DC comes out with has the characters protesting. And I just feel like it's kind of ridiculous because, you know, no one that I grew up with was ever interested in protesting. It's just like kind of something that they think, oh, man, that's the rebellious thing to do is the protest. And it's like, no, we don't really we're not really that interested in that. <laughs> yeah, I Wait, don't, I Ramon, don't... do you concur with uh, Dan Fan here on the protesting? Yes. Yes and no. My kids protest. But they don't read comic books. <laughs> so the your so the audience it's not the right audience you're right you know um i think the the comic books because i don't actually i don't read myself i don't myself don't read superhero comic books anymore i read mainly graphic novels and so if you're saying that if you're saying that um there's protesting going on in the superhero comic books then i think you're right i think um people are 
I don't think I don't think kids are reading superhero comic book. I think they're reading graphic novels. Um, and so when Lev says that everybody hates them, I think most people who are who have been into comic books, superhero comic books for a long time, probably does hate them because there's there's such a departure from what the norm is. Um, but but like I said earlier, but I think uh, um, younger audiences who are into social justice, the ones who do read uh, comics are not reading superhero comics. They're reading original graphic novels. So, right. Yeah. Um, the graphic, uh, the DCYA brand, which is kind of like a spinoff, their graphic novels themselves, they're yeah. just kind of like reusing the characters in a different type of story. Yes, they, they probably are. I haven't read those either. I have seen them on the shelves. Um, um, well, I don't know if, if they're reaching an audience. I know that that uh, kids are reading other things. They're reading a lot of manga. They're reading a lot of Raina Tagelmeier. Whether or not they're picking up the children's graphic novels from DC, I don't know. But I think that's smart on DC's part to try to get that audience. Uh, but I think, and that's I think a lot smarter than them making um, making characters in the original mainstream universes into um, into their their I guess what they're 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 converting them into people of color, uh, which is fine. But I think that's not a smart as smart a move as just creating graphic novels just for kids separately. Hmm. Well, I want to get Charlie Khan in this as well. Charlie, do you yes. concur with what is going on right now that uh, Ramon was talking about, Dan Fan was talking about, when it comes to this need to protest, is this mainly found in the uh, graphic uh, novels, and is this something that uh, the other comics who are more Marvel, DC, try to go full uh, hey fellow kids mode, and it's yeah. not really being as receptive, <laughs> and what about the graphic novels in there's that case? A, uh, there's a big difference between you know, a brilliant social justice like like message of like tolerance and love. Like you look at the old Twilight Zones. Like those were brilliant stories that could tell you something without actually slapping you in the face with what it's really about. And, and that, that, that was that was Sterling's um on purpose from the yep. beginning. The problem with the modern Marvel comics and DC and all this stuff is the ham fisted, like, no, this is this is what it is. All these legacy characters, we're just going to sweep them off, you know, into the the background. Like they're done. This is the guy now. And I feel like that's a problem. I feel like that you, you're going to lose a lot of the older audience that way. There's, there's got to be a better way to introduce new characters who are what you want them to get somebody over. You can't just say, Oh, Hey, actually, Superman's done now. His son Superman. This is the guy, and then have him start doing all this wild non-Superman stuff. That's it's not going to work. Like people aren't going to go for that. Some people will. Some people will like it, but you're going to lose out on a lot of the legacy people, the the real comic book buyers. I think. And to, I think you're absolutely you're absolutely right. And to cut uh, people out that, the, to cut people out that have supported you for years. And when they complain about this kind of stuff, and even mild complaints, and I'm not talking about, you know, angry, mean-spirited stuff. I'm talking about like, hey, man, I don't, I don't know if this is the right idea, Marvel, like to, to just instantly slap them in the face with, no, actually, you guys are racist, you're awful, this is bad, you can't, how dare you complain? 
like that's that's no good. That's that's how you lose a customer base, and that's that's a real problem. And to go back to what he was saying about uh, the comic book stands, like like the newsstands, like every store used to have comic books everywhere, and that was uh, Stanley's big saying was that every comic book was some kids first, and that was the way that he tried to write stuff so that you could pick up any comic book and get excited by it and anybody in the world could get excited by it. And he even said, um, I think it was in one of the Stanley soap boxes somewhere where he went off about, um, why Spider-Man was so popular worldwide is because anybody could be underneath that mask. Spider-Man could be whoever you wanted him to be for you. And that there was something brilliant about that, but to change, to change the core concepts of the characters, like I, I feel like that's a huge mistake. And manga is eating their lunch. Manga and uh, I believe French comics are going to make a big comeback too. I think they're starting to uh, really get over with people. As as people mature and start looking for other stuff, they start looking like these old heavy metals or uh, the Tin Tin comics, that kind of stuff. Now, what about the graphic novels? Before we go back to uh, Ramon and Dan Fan, do you have any opinion there? Because Ramon was talking about how a lot of the more social justice-oriented audience, they're going into the realm of uh, these particular types of uh, comics. And I don't particularly know what is going on within that realm. I know, Charlie, if you've uh, looked into it. Well, if you think back, like, uh, there's even stuff like The Moss. Like, that was, uh, the, that's the, uh, the, the, the Mice Holocaust book. Like that would count Mouse. as this sort of stuff. Mouse, Mouse yeah. Uh, you know, I, I forgive my accent. You know, I uh, as a person of country, I, I say things uh, <laughs> uh, a, a little strangely. But uh, you know, you think about something like that. Like that's a, a great allegory for what he's going for. Without, you know, I mean, it, yeah, it kind of is slapping you in the face with what it really is. But I feel like anybody can pick that up and look at it yeah. and go, oh, yes, this is, you know, a, a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down kind of thing. Well, there's there's slapping in the face and then there's punching in the teeth. Yeah. And that may be the issue that we're facing right now where, Ramon, I don't think there's that many people who are going to say, well, we only want there to be white people in comics and that's it. No, I think that when it comes to what I believe true diversity is, which is learning about different people's uh, cultural backgrounds, various folk tales from uh, different parts of the world, people are very excited about that. The perception that people have of what is going on within comics today, and I would include the graphic novels here as well, is that people may look different as far as there being different skin colors, different outfits, but they end up thinking the same. Their thought pattern happens to be much more left-oriented, happens to be much more anti-West, even though you could say that there are people who came to the West to flee a lot of the bad conditions that were in places where they came from because they liked what the West had to offer. And now it almost seems like a lot of these various comics are kind of spitting in the face of that and saying, like, no, everything the West does is horrible and everything everybody else does is great. That appears to be the perception. I don't know how, how much that is in the graphic novels and the comics from certain things I have seen. It does seem very ham-fisted in that direction, but uh, I'm curious what you think. Are you asking me or are you asking yes, somebody else? I'm asking you, Ramon. I think 
I think you're right. I think there are, I mean, there are, I, there are always exceptions, obviously, and I don't like making generalizations, but a lot of the time it does seem a little bit forced. Uh, but from a perspective of a writer of color, you know, if DC calls me right now and says, we want to make uh, an Asian version of this character, you know, I'll say yes, <laughs> right? Because it's an opportunity for me, right? And um, yeah, any, 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 we all want, all of us creators want to work for, you know, even sometimes we say we don't want to work for Marvel and DC, and I'm sure there's people out there who absolutely will not. But, you know, that's the dream, right? That's what we grew up with, Marvel and DC. So if somebody, uh, uh, if, if an editor called me up and say we want to make a, a story about, you know, a Filipino daredevil, I'll say, ah, yes. <laughs> and I'll do my best to try to make it work, right? No, but here's the difference, though. You could have a story about the Filipino daredevil incorporating various cultural things of your choosing. The difference, though, is when there would be a Filipino daredevil who would constantly be talking ill about the United States or about uh, colonialism, like talking about various things that, like, yes, they happen in history, but a lot of it seems oriented right towards the West and that seems to be the thing that really turns people off. Uh, okay. do, you, do you see I, what I mean? Say that again. Okay, instead of me saying it, because I'm the moderator here, I'm going to go to Dan Fan. I don't know if you could expand about what I'm talking about here. Just so no, I don't want to put... like you... all the anti-American stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just so we're a little, a little bit clear, because again, this is not about diversity being a bad thing. This is more about diversity being the skin suit that is worn by something that I think is not just unproductive, but kind of a very, um, a very uh, bad agenda, you know, an agenda that divides people. But I don't know, damn fan, can you expand a little bit on this? Um, yeah, I don't know. There's definitely a lot of like pro-communism stuff in like the modern stuff. Um, you know, the, the classic critiques on capitalism and all that other crap but um and then uh i mean not uh, <laughs> trying to steer the conversation in the direction that you had planned but i'm i my mind is going all over to different places so, so yeah <laughs> all right no problem while you're thinking about I, that uh, charlie khan yeah do you want to take over here i think people you know I remember a time when everybody would cheer when Spider-Man lands in front of the American flag in the movie. Like people used to love this country. I don't know what happened. I don't know what changed. Like that used to be the thing, even pro wrestling, which is very much comic books brought to life. Like before the movies, you, you would see a lot of guys like waving the American flag and you would have the bad guys who would have those sorts of criticisms and be that character. You look at something like Killmonger, the uh, the popular bad guy from Black Panther. Uh -huh. Like seeing people loving that character and the way that they wanted to go about things is very like, like I feel very uncomfortable with that because that, that whole guy's thing was about violence. And it's like, whoa, buddy, like that's let's chill out here a minute. Like that's he's the bad guy. You're supposed to be rooting for the Black Panther who wants to, you know, diplomatically solve things violence is not the answer that he wants to go to I, I feel like that's a problem that's a problem with writing writing and presentation there i feel like there's a there, there's something and maybe that's audience expectations maybe there's something in people where they just 
I don't know. They they want violence now, and I I don't think that's the right uh, the right way to go. Mm. I don't know, Ramon. What do you think? Do you think that there is this energy in the air? We've seen it a bit in the uh, twenty twenty. Do you think that there is this tendency of people to want to tear down the system? What is your opinion of that? Because even though it goes a little bit away from comics in general, it is this aspect that I think is very divisive that people end up inserting into comics. I think there, I think there is a little bit of that, um, on, and on both sides, I would say, you know, um, and but I don't think it's that it's that um, prevalent. Um, I think it's more visible now that we have social media. I'm sure we had all these people who wanted to tear down the system for decades, but we never heard from them because we didn't have social media. And now we have social media and we have podcasts and we have tweets and we have Facebook and we have blogs. And back then it's like all these people, you know, you only heard about them if you were subscribed to their, to their, to their, paper, to their hard copy newsletter, right? You know, <laughs> or what, you went to their meetings. But now they're everywhere because you can see them online just from through your computer or through your iPhone. But they there is also like a question. A virus. Well, yeah. there is also a question of the uh, gatekeeping here because if you are these uh, institutions, be it the publishers of the graphic novels or be it Marvel and DC, you could say that you have a certain responsibility to steer culture in a particular direction that does not end up dividing people. I think somebody uh, wrote in the chat earlier on that in the 90s, that was in a way social justice done right, where, you know, we had diversity as far as like Blade, for example, even though the introduction for me to Blade was uh, the movie, Nobody, at least as far as I was aware, was talking about, oh, hey, there's this black superhero. It's more about, hey, Blade is cool. Yeah, you know, it doesn't Blade, matter. What makes Blade cool is not that he's a black dude. Like, Blade, the, the, him being black is the eighth thing on the list of things that are cool about Blade. And I feel like with this, this pandering social push, there could come a time where they're like, you know what? What if Blade was a small taiwanese woman like why can't why does blade have to be this guy and it's like whoa that's you're changing the core concept of the character here like him him being you know wesley snipes like that's 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 core to the character mm -hmm. and if you lose that you're losing a big piece of who that character is mm. but uh R ramon you were saying uh in the mid uh, there can you repeat what you want to say there I was going to say that when Blade came out in the 90s, there was no social media. So if people were offended by it or didn't like the change, we didn't know about it. I'd say yeah, Blade, if, if uh... there was, well, if there was social media, what I would say is that there's nothing in Blade, at least that I can recall, that's reminiscent of anything that has to do with Marxism or protesting or any social justice movement. It's just about this cool dude who kills vampires. And that is, in a way, I think, what people like about Blade and what they feel in certain comics that end up coming up that they do hit you with the te they do hit you in the teeth uh, politically speaking, and that I think is kind of up to the people who are the gatekeepers, the uh, DC and Marvel, to either double down on or stop. There are companies right now like uh, Coinbase, I think and uh, others who start to make a completely non-political uh, system within their um, 
you know, within how people work. So people will talk about programming. They would talk about various things related to the work, the missions at hand, but they're not going to talk about politics within the workplace. And I think in a way it's freed up a lot of people. It also allowed some people who wanted it to be much more about politics to get a very nice severance package and then go work somewhere else. But I think there's going to be a lot of pressure not so much because now we have social media, and I agree with you, social media has allowed more people to talk about this stuff, but it's also, I think, allowed allowed minority to put so much pressure on these entities that if they don't insert political things in there, if they don't kowtow, then there's going to be problem. I don't know, at least this is from my non-comic industry outsider-looking-in view, so I'm curious, Ramon, if you agree or disagree with what I'm saying as far as that kind of political pressure right now towards the gatekeepers? Yeah, um, I think I think the bottom line is money. And if they can get a wider audience by having more diversity in there, they will. Um, as far as groups pressuring media to have more diversity, I don't know if that happens, but I have a very strong stance against that. Not be- because my feeling is in this day and age, um, and and I've been involved with this before. In this day and age, you know, um, we don't need to wait for mainstream media to reflect uh, that our diversity, our culture. You know, the technology exists today that we can fucking make our own media. Absolutely. Right? And um, back in the 2000s, I think it was. I'm a graphic designer by day, and. Um, uh, and you're actually was, real superhero by night, right? No, just comic book creator. So, um, so I was I was helping this guy with this newsletter, and it was all about complaining about not enough Asians in this movie, not enough Asians in that movie. And what I noticed is when I don't agree with what I'm working on, I'll make a lot of typos and mistakes. And <laughs> so he eventually fired me. But yeah, but you know, it's like I'm not gonna wait or beg or or plead or 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 pressure some company to put more agents in their in their in their books or TV shows. You know, I've made my own movies, I, I make my own comic books, I read my own stories. All of them feature Asian Americans uh, as lead characters. You know, uh, I'll fuck the comp- fuck those guys if they don't want to put Asians in the in the in their in their stories. You know, mm. uh, that's that's and maybe that's a strong word, but that's you know, as an artist, you know, it's like it's like. Um, don't tell me what to put in my <laughs> what to do with my stories, right? And so I would give them the same the same latitudes, right? It's their stories, it's their properties, or they can do with it whatever they want. You know, I want diversity. I'm going to make my own media that's got diversity in it. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, uh, uh, years ago, um, I heard this story that um, that there were, that Clint Eastwood did this World War II film, I think of Iwo Jima or something like that. Mm-hmm. Some island where the Americans were. were well, he were, he did a. I think he did two movies. He yeah, did one a, from the perspective of the Japanese. The yeah, flags of the fathers. That was from the perspective of the American soldiers at Iwo Jima, and the other one was from the perspective of the Japanese. So it was very interesting. Right, right but I uh, but supposedly Spike Lee uh, publicly said that that Clint Eastwood uh, should have uh, included um, uh, African American soldiers. In the in his movies, and Clint Eastwood responded, "Spike Lee should shut his face." <laughs> right? It's like to me, it's like if Spike Lee wants to see African American soldiers in the movie, he should make that movie, right? Mm. It's not 
it's not Clint Eastwood's responsibility to to represent every 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 group that's out there. He just wanted to make the movie that he wanted to make, and I respect that. And um, and as much as I'd love to see, you know, we've had movies, World War II movies with African American uh, lead characters, and that's great, you know. Um, but but I wouldn't tell somebody, another artist, how to do their their story to include diversity. Well, there's also a question of historical authenticity, too. I mean, there were definitely black soldiers in World War II, no question about that. It's more of the question of where was who stationed and how important is that? So, for example, there are movies that are made right now, and I'm sure with comics is the same deal, where they take place somewhere in Europe in the Middle Ages uh, or somewhere in um, England during the uh, Tudor Shakespearean time. Yeah, or yeah, Middle Earth. I mean, that's the most. Uh, re Although that is a that, fantasy. Uh, that Amazon is a fan Prime has pushed. Uh... Yeah, but it, but to be fair, that is a fantasy, and you could say, well, in the fantasy, people can be whatever. Sure. But I guess a retort to that retort would be that J.R.R. J.R.R. Tolkien based his fantasy specifically on a uh, European landscape, and also there are certain rumors out there that he may have based a lot of his stories on various legends from Europe that have, um, you know, that actually existed. I mean, I'm not going to go too deep into the rabbit hole as far as oh, whether, sure, sure. whether Lord of the Rings is real. We're not going right, to do how that. About, how about in the Thor movies where the Asgardians are very diversely, diversely raced? Like that seemed that that felt like an odd choice to me. I don't know, Ramon. Like, where where do you stand on putting diversity into elements where it may not make as much sense, both historically or even in the realm of fantasy, if the fantasy is based on a particular lore? Like, let's say, for example, somebody made a uh, version of I don't know, Journey to the West. You know, like Dragon Ball Z, that was based on Journey to the West. And it had a lot of diverse characters in it, so it didn't matter. But then if you take like an Indian epic, for example, like the Ramayana, for example, and you would put, um, you know, white the people. The Wayans brothers. Yeah, or the Wayans brothers into the Ramayana. Where do you, where do you see that? Um, the, the actual, I guess, uh, brown washing of the characters, I have, not, I have no problem with. Um, if it's done well, and even if it's not done well, it's not really, you know, it's none of my business how they do it. But I will say that, you know, that um, that Cleopatra was was uh, an Egyptian, not a white woman. Um, Jesus Christ was not a white well, person. Well, no, no, to Cleopatra, no, not Cleopatra. Cleopatra, she was the daughter of Ptolemy, and Ptolemy was uh, Greek. Well, technically speaking, he was in the uh, he was in the team of Alexander the Great. So was he was, she, a, but was yeah. She a white, was she, was she a full-blooded white person? Well, it depends on whether you would. Uh, Charlie, would you consider uh, Greeks uh, or Macedonians, for that matter, white? But but uh, she was she was half Egyptian, right? I don't know. Was she? I gotta I gotta look this up. But that's uh, that's <laughs> that's an interesting question. But but anyway, I guess my point is that you know that uh, Hollywood and the media have been whitewashing for decades. Yep. So nobody complained about it then. So why are people complaining about? The opposite I, now. I feel like people had strong opinions about John Wayne playing Genghis Khan. <laughs> I think people had a lot of thoughts at the time, like that was a huge mistake. Uh, Mickey Rooney playing a Japanese guy on The yeah. Graduate. Oh, oh, that one that one in particular just feels bad. 
that so to me, feels awesome. So to me, it's like it's it's two sides of the same coin. You know, people people have been changing ethnicity of characters for decades. So I so if you know if 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 uh, so to me that's it's it's I don't I don't care. They they can do it all they want. I like it. I like the fact that the Asgardians were diverse. You know, um, and who's to say that we, we think that 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 every 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 um, every culture back in the Middle Ages or whatever were pretty homogenous. They probably were, but there were people who were able to travel from the Middle East or from Asia to other continents. Yeah, there's the famous story of the Black Samurai. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't or- know about that. Black, tell me about this Black yeah. Samurai. Oh, you don't know about the Black Samurai? Oh, oh wait a minute. No, no, no. I know that there were samurai who were black, but I didn't know about one particular black samurai. Uh, there's the one that um, when uh, the, the uh, I believe it was Nobunaga, when he found the guy, like he was, yeah, I think this is it. Uh, it's a man of African origin who served as the retainer and weapon bearer for the Japanese Daimo Oda Nobunaga. Yeah, he's the one that uh, Nobunaga had never seen like dark skin before and thought that he had like covered himself with something and tried to like pull it off of him. And he had to explain to him like, no, actually, this is just who I am, man. (laughs) Wow. Well, there is another uh, black conquistador that I want to talk about a little bit here. But before that, a comment from the great Philip Daniel, friend of the show. No, they intermixed with Persians, though. He's talking about Cleopatra and Ptolemy uh, before her. Uh, uh, back then, Persians were likely more Indo-European. So in a way, like when we're talking about the age of Heraclitus, for example, who was living in ancient, not ancient Greece, but he was living in a Persian colony in ancient Greece. At that point, even if there were different religions, there was a lot of intermixing going on. So kind of like the people that you would talk about, who are the ancient Greeks and who are the ancient Persians, they wouldn't be as far away from each other, I believe, at that point. But anybody in the chat, please correct me. So basically, my point is that Cleopatra, I guess, would be considered to be white if we're talking about Cleopatra. But uh, as far as the uh, Black Aquisador, this is an interesting guy. This is not some. Have you ever heard of Juan Garrido, Ramon? Okay, so he was a uh, Black African Spanish conquistador. So he went to Portugal as a young man. He was from the Kingdom of Congo, which is present day northern Angola. And he converted to Catholicism, chose the Spanish name Juan, and he joined the Spanish uh, expedition uh, to uh, Santa Domingo, uh, Hispaniola, in 1502. He participated in the invasion of present-day Puerto Rico and Cuba in 1508. In 1513, as part of Juan Ponce de Leon's entourage in search of gold, the expedition landed in Florida. He is the first known African to arrive in North America. By 1519, he had joined Cortez's forces and invaded present-day Mexico, participating in the siege of Tenochtitlan. He married and settled in Mexico City, where he was the first known farmer to have sowed wheat in America. He continued to serve with Spanish forces for more than 30 years, including expeditions to Western Mexico and to the Pacific. So this is a very interesting dude. And it boggles my mind why we don't hear about him in the history books. Like, I was not even aware of this guy until maybe a couple of years ago. But uh, I don't know. Charlie, I want to get to Dan Fan as well. I think Ramon's kind of frozen in the sheet of ice right now, so hopefully his connection's going to improve. But why do you think that people like Juan are not as often mentioned in the history books? 
or in the modern, let's say, school system as opposed to the history books, rather. See, I, I feel like uh, cool and interesting characters are often lost to history. There's a lot of that, like the Black Samurai. Like, nobody nobody really talked about that story. I found out about it because it was a movie that uh, the actor that played T'Challa in the Black Panther, he was working on a movie about it. Like, he was going to do that movie and be that character. And it was like, oh, man, that would have been that would have been a really cool movie to have seen. But, you know, certain certain things just get lost to history. Absolutely. And speaking of getting lost to history, Ramon is back with us over here. Uh, there was a problem with the Internet. Ramon, are you with us? Can you hear us? Where did you hear up to? Yeah, I can. Excellent. But where did you uh, um, where did you hear up to? I think. Um, oh, gosh. Did you hear about, about RoboCop? No, I did not hear about RoboCop. Did you hear about the well, the uh, black, the black conquistador? Did you hear yeah, about yeah, the black? Yeah, I, con- I got the black conquistador, and then I yes, think, I think Charles started talking, and then that's when I cut out. All right, all right, there we go. So yeah, so as far as the black conquistador goes, that would be a very interesting comic book character as well. And the reason why I bring somebody like uh, Juan up is that I think that there was this tendency, or has been this tendency to portray people of color as they are called today, which, I don't know, to me that's a very strange term as well. It reminds me a bit of colored. I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, that always seemed like the racist to me, too. Like, growing up, like, that was, like, you don't say that about people. Like, that's old-timey and mean. And now, we're, now everybody's saying the backwards of it? Like, that's, what is that? Well, I mean, be that as it may, for me it's more about how, I mean, you could even say even the term, in a way, and maybe you'll disagree with me about this, Ramon. But in a way, the term and the general way that people of different racial characteristics are portrayed, it's almost like they can't be the conquistador. They can't be someone who is imperialistic. Even though mm. empires, as you know, have existed in all countries around the entire world, you know, before, during, and after Europeans. And I don't like the fact that people who are minorities are being portrayed as this victim group, are being portrayed as, uh, you know, someone who cannot, you know, stand up, if that makes any sense. It almost seems like they're being portrayed as these kind of like pets of the white saviors, like we always have to you know, um, what's the right word here? We have to pat them on the back, say how wonderful they are, how good they are. And I think it's very demeaning. It's, it feels I, like you're putting everybody in the same box, and that's not yeah. necessarily the – like, that's not good. I, I, I don't like that, like lumping everybody in, saying, you know, like, like oh, we're different, so that makes us, diff- like, better. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, it's – it just doesn't seem – doesn't seem like the right thing to say. Like, you know, one day I hope we get to the point where people have to say, well, I'm a person of Earth. I'm a human being. Uh, uh, you know, I feel like we're going to get there maybe in a thousand years, maybe a hundred thousand years. We'll eventually get there where everybody talks shit about all oh, those damn Martians. Buddy, you know how <laughs> the Martians are. Well, to be fair, the Martians are actually the Nazis, the breakaway Nazi civilization. The ones you got to watch out for is the Venusians, though. They're real sneaky. Exactly. No, but, <laughs> well, but Ramon, well, but, yeah. Uh, actually, right now, the, actually, um, the Martians are a completely different race. In reality, they're all robots right now. Well, the robots that the robots They'll are break the greats. If you're playing chess against them, you got to watch out. That's true. 
The robots are the greys, which were invented by the... Uh, oh, I'm not going to get into it right now. But uh, I'll save that for a little bit later down the stream. When we have enough to drink, then I'm going to start talking about Operation High Jump. I'm going to be talking about how the moon is actually artificially made in order for the Earth to be on its tilt, in order for the Martian Nazi time travelers to go to the Earth and to start seeding civilization and creating this weird time loop. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that right now. Comic books and how far out comic books could go. Yes, exactly. Getting back to comic books, though. What we're talking about right now, Ramon, like uh, Charlie and myself, and I think uh, Dan Fan as well, uh, if you're you're still with us over here, Mm -hmm. uh, is coming from more of the side of the internet that's reacting to a lot of things that we see being perpetuated more within the sphere of, you know, you're in FIT, more in the sphere of education, more in the sphere of real life, certain things that people don't really, as far as I see, have that much of a chance to talk about, which is why I think it's incredibly important that you're here with us right now to, again, like Break the Rules always does, try to merge these two sides together. So what Charlie especially was talking about, like this lumping everybody into this one people of color type thing. Do you notice that that has also been going on uh, from uh, your perspective? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of uh, promoting of stereotypes, essentially. (laughs) And uh, you definitely see that in a lot of modern comics where they, they don't just want to include diverse groups, but they want them to act a certain way, too. They want them to be a certain character type. And then, of course, they want at least one white person to stand up for them when they need help. <laughs> mm. it's, uh, it's, it's very uh, cliche and tropey at this point because it exists in so many of them. Well, Ramon, uh, again, like, what are, you, what, what are some of your thoughts here as far as these things that we're talking about? Like I said, I don't read a lot of comic books, mainstream comic books nowadays, but I have seen I don't it. think anybody I does have- anymore. <laughs> I, I, I have seen what uh, Dan Fan is talking about, but what I will say is that there's a lot of indie comic books out there that are produced by, you know, Latinos and, and African-Americans and Asians. And, that's, and, and in those comic books, the, uh, those characters are the lead. They are not token characters. They are not background sidekicks, you know. And if you're only reading Marvel and DC, then yeah, you're probably going to see that. But if you were to pick up the indie, uh, an indie comic book that, and there's hundreds of them out there, you will find that there is a real diversity going on there. There are real fleshed out characters of color in there. Well, as far as the lead characters go, Dan Fan, one of the comics that you were recently reviewing or reading whatever is the right word here is i don't remember what it's called but it's about wonder woman's twin sister we were talking about it a little bit uh, last night so there you have a lead who is uh, black but as far as how you know she was obviously the leader there was the story was about her but as far as certain themes that you saw cropping up in there can you talk a little bit about what you saw and then i would love to compare that to uh, uh certain comics that ramon you would um offer up as uh, examples of this being done right? Uh, Yeah, it's been a while since I've read Nubia. Uh, It was Nubia Real One, that was the title. Um, But basically, she doesn't know that she's Wonder Woman's twin sister. She, you know, has superpowers and whatnot. She's being raised by 
two lesbians. I don't, I don't remember their names, but it's a lesbian couple who are raising her. And um, she like stops a robbery by like hitting one of the robbers with an ATM. But for some reason, nobody knows that she did that. So they just assume that she's one of the thieves. And <laughs> I don't know how they missed it, but... <laughs> So um, she gets detained by a police officer at one point. Then he lets her go. And um, and she also said that they'd never detain Superman like that, right? Like that's... Oh, yeah, of course. It's uh, she In her mind, a lot of her misfortune is because she is black. And uh, yeah, that's kind of just the theme of the comic. I'm trying to remember bits and pieces of it. I know that she had a uh, a bully at school who was like interested in her friend i don't remember <laughs> it's so hard to and that, i i do remember one part in that comic where her other friend uh, said you know want me to uh kick this guy's ass you remember is it coming back to you um yeah maybe at, yeah, yeah but at uh, some point like she fights him um he's like drunk at a party and he takes a swing at her and she like dodges it and then she's about to walk away from the fight but then decides you know what fuck it and then she just punches him in the face and uh they get it on video so they have like proof that she assaulted him and uh that turns into a big thing that causes her a lot of backlash and of course she's like oh, it's because i'm black and um for some reason the the, the bully kid turns into a school shooter at the end Ugh. of it I, I don't know why it just it, it escalated very. Why quickly. would comic books want to go there of all places? <laughs> like they're well, supposed to be fun. Like you can't have fun with that. That's awful. Oh, well, according to the comic, of, in that yes, comic as well, and she yes. fought the cops because the cops were evil. I guess. All right. So basically, what this paints to—I'm not even going to say what it paints to me, Ramon. What does this paint to you? Um. Well. I'm actually of the of the thinking is that you know people can do whatever they want. There is no I don't the word one of the words I hate the most is should. Things should be this way. Things should be that way. You know I think everybody, uh, even companies and, and independent artists and creators, are free to do whatever they want. If you don't like it, don't read it. So. Um, that is fair enough, but there is room, I think, for criticism. As far as Dan Fan's channel, she is also free to criticize and to point out certain and things she, that don't work and in the same, comic. Same, and same thing, Dan Fan is perfectly free to. She can do whatever she wants as well. I'm not going to do that. You know, I mean, I'm going to make my own comic books. Mm -hmm. You know, to hell with everybody else, what they're making or what they want to see made. I'm making my own comic books, right? I mean, I don't. You know, I may I may make give offer my opinion about something, but in the end, everybody is free to do whatever they want, whether they want to criticize or whether they want to create. I just want to create. I guess what I'm trying to get to here is I don't think that there is this chaotic soup of everybody doing various different things. You have companies over here doing one thing, these other companies doing another thing. The and I guess this sounds a little bit conspirological, but I don't really think it is. I think it's just more people deciding to go with whatever is not going to cause trouble. Like you're at a party, you're at, I don't know, a fundraiser for a particular political party. You're not going to talk shit about that political party. 
Yeah, I'm sure that's going on with Marvel and DC. But like I said, there's a bunch of other independent comic books out there that aren't doing it that way. That they yeah, don't mind. They the... don't mind rocking the boat. They don't mind offending. They don't mind, you know, going against the norm. But if look you're just going to read Marvel and DC, then that's what you're going to see. You're you right. Look at the success of guys like uh, what Eric July has been up to. I think he's, I think he's up to three million dollars now. I know he passed two million. Hmm. Like he's trying his, to build his own thing and do his own company. And like, good for him, man. Like everybody should. The Ninja Turtles weren't made by a corporation. It was made by two guys sitting in their living room, drawing cartoon pictures with one another, laughing. They right. got it published, got it sold. You know, parlayed it into a tabletop book and miniatures and toys, and then a cartoon, and then old Jed's a millionaire. Like it just keeps going from there. But you brought up uh, Eric July. Is he related to Comics Gate, or is that a separate thing? I feel like that's a separate thing. I think what those guys are doing and what he's doing are a little different from one another. But again, it, like I said, it's an alternative. Those guys are doing their thing, and you know, more power to them if they've got an audience that wants to pay for their books. You know, that's that's sort of their thing. The reason why I brought up this not being so much of a complete chaotic soup of randomness, even though I completely agree with you, Ramon, that we do have these various independent outlets right now, probably much more than we had in the past, where we are free to express ourselves in different ways. The issue I get to here is that the internet, because of the way things are set up right now, at least with social media, even if you do get a modicum of success and you're able to find your own people, you're still going to have, just like, for example, you have companies that are subsidized by the United States government where they end up profiting much more. Same like during the lockdown, for example, you had Walmart not really going out of business. You know, you had certain companies that... Amazon thrive. Yeah, Amazon. You have certain companies that are going to make it because they are very much supported. So my concern here is not so much about there not being an opportunity to express yourself. It's more about that uh, Brave New World as opposed to 1984 idea where you don't have to get rid of information. You just have to flood the market with so much stupidity, so much useless information that people are not going to know, you know their head from their ass. And when it comes to companies that are big enough to be able to fund certain projects, like, for example, I don't know, the Star Wars movies, which, again, I don't want to go too much into movies here, but these are movies that are made from comics, so I kind of see it as a similar thing. When you have so much influence coming from the top there, it does, I think, end up putting certain amount of pressure even to certain people within graphic, uh, within the graphic novel sphere. At least people who want to maintain good company in terms of people who they know in academia, for example, people at FIT. Basically, people within a world like New York City, for example, the social world of New York City, where I don't think it would be as easy to get somebody there who may, who may have more of a... I don't know, a right-wing perspective when it comes to, you know, their idea of what a comic should be. Like, do you see what I mean? Like, there seems to be more pressure. I see, put... what, you're, I see what you're saying. But in the end, and I've struggled with this because the first couple of years of, 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 of my resurgent comic book career, I was thinking about all these things. I was thinking about, well, you have the big companies who basically dominate, you know. You have marketing, you have sales, you have all these things to worry about. But if you think about it, uh, assuming that all these, assuming everything you're saying is true, you know, aside from what can I do about it, right? There are things I can do about it. So I can vote. 
I can produce media that counteracts that. Um, yeah, and those are and I'm already doing those things already, right? So, um, so beyond that, we can talk about it, you know, till forever. But in the end, it's like, what are you going to do about it? And I'm doing something about it in my own way. Um, I don't know if I'll be successful. I don't know if it's going to, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't know if it's going to change the industry or change the world. But I'll do what I'm doing, you know, and 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 uh, and just do the work and not worry about those things. I mean, I know those things are there, but I'll I'll just do what I can. And in the end, that's all there is. That's all I can really do. So, um, well, can you so talk yeah, a bit? Can you talk a little bit about what the things that you are doing are as far as uh, the ideas for the comics you have? What exactly uh, inspires you? What exactly you want to put out to the world? I'm not a big social justice person in terms of my stories. I don't inject a lot of social justice, but I do make my characters in my books very diverse. You know, um, the stories that I write are not are not about culture. They're you don't have, it doesn't have to be, it's like, sure, I have a, 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 a Filipino-American uh, uh, lead character, but the story is not about him being Filipino-American. It's just about him being like a crime fighter. It just so happens to be Filipino-American. Um, that's the kind of stories I want to write, you know. I guess I could write more social justice stories. I could write stories about his culture or him defending other Filipino-Americans. But, you know, I have no interest in that. Like this is what this is the kind of story I want. I want to write a detective story that stars an Asian guy or an Asian girl. Right? I want to do a a police body body cop story, a buddy buddy cop story, and the characters are Asian. You know, that's what I want to do. But it has nothing to do with them being Asian. It's not about you know being discriminated against things like that. You know, those are the kinds of things that I want to work on. Um, mm. There's all this stuff, other stuff going on, right? And we all have to decide for ourselves, well, which fights are we going to take on? And sure, there's a big corporate, you know, the big corporate uh, entities that are the dominant comic books, right? And this is the way I'm going to fight it. But, you know, uh, but beyond that, it's like, you know, if, 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 if somebody feels very strongly that, that the big companies are, are dominating uh, the genre or the media or the art form, then do something about it and just you know and and talking about it is is, is great and and bringing it to light is great but in the end it's like you know um we can talk about it until our ears fall off at some point we have to take action absolutely and who better to take action than the wonderful stardust joining break the rules stardust it's always a great pleasure to see you i see you've gotten rid of the orange and you've brought back more of the blue and the purple <laughs> what's going on why what inspired this color change all of a sudden um, it, I'm sorry. Can you guys hear me? Okay. I can hear you wonderfully. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, I just, uh, figured I'd change it up a bit. So yeah, that's about it. Uh, oh. how are you guys doing today? Doing fine. Doing fine. Here's Ramon, Charlie, Dan fan. Everybody is in the house over here and, uh, Stardust, I've uh, missed you on BTR. It's always a great pleasure to have you here with us. Thank so you for having me. Thank you for being here. So I want to get your opinion as well on what we've just talked about right now. We were talking about diversity, social justice, and comics, where Ramon was talking about how even though corporate entities want things to be done in a certain way, people are free, you know, as far as independent publishing goes, to do things 
their way to much more than probably we were able to do before the advent of the internet. But my, I wouldn't say it's a counter argument necessarily, but the only thing I would add to that is that I still think that there is a lot of social pressure, even in independent works. If you are somebody who is, I'd say both, like, you know, if you're a Trump supporter who's in Florida or somewhere in the South and you're in comics, there's going to be much more pressure for you to make like Agent Poso. Charlie, no Agent Poso, Jack Posobiec's thing? Uh, what's that? Uh, what was it, Lev? Agent Paso. It was like this comic that uh, Jack Posobiec made. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. No, no, no. I didn't know that. Uh, well, he's the Veritas guy, right? No, no, no. He's not a Ver- Although I think he's associated with them. But anyway, the point being is that you have pressure on the right to, for example, I find like there's a lot of pressure right now to be very negative towards NATO for some reason. Because I think that there's a lot of Russian operatives that managed to sneak their way onto the right. See, I'm seeing a lot of United Nations uh, memes, a lot of that kind of stuff, like calling them the Antichrist and things like that. Yeah, sure. Well, United Nations, uh, I don't really care too much about the United Nations. NATO is much more important. But anyway, that being said, the point is that I think that there is this pressure that's coming from both the left and the right in order for you to be a certain way. And Stardust, even when it comes to people who are, let's say, living in New York City, uh, like Ramonas, for example, or like I am, and if you want to have a career within this kind of industry, and I know this may be a little bit further away from discussion, but I'm still curious if you have any takes on this, how shackled are you to having your content have the social justice message if you are in an urban environment, if you are on the, uh, in the coast so I guess it, it would depend on what that what is what do you mean by social justice message, right? If it's just if we're talking about a diverse um, comic book, uh, I don't really see that as a social justice message. I see that as well, we've got a pretty diverse um, American makeup now, and it just seems like you're going to try and appeal to the most amount of people, and you're going to use diversity to do that. Um, do I think diversity for diversity's sake? can be cringe. Yeah, can be cringe. Um, but at the same time, we know that there have been studies done on um, like young black girls, the, the doll study, for example, where they gave them a white doll and a black doll. And um, and these young girls were uh, basically saying that the black doll was ugly. And th- these were like black children. Right. Um, and so it, I do see a benefit in um, in there being diversity in comics and in other media. Uh, obviously it shouldn't be too forced, but if there's like a way to bring it in, I don't see why not. Um, uh, you know, so, you know, so many people grow up feeling like they're not normal, I guess, or not the normal, you know, the norm in America. I think, I think it's, uh, nice to kind of expand what the norm is. Um, and I guess I, I would also, um, say in addition to that, um, you know, I see, I see a lot of pushback against like, um, diversity in it, not only on the right, but I see it on the left too, because the left is always saying like, oh, you know, it's just, um, it, you know, it's woke capitalism. They're using us and all that. And I don't know about that. Um, I, because I feel like, uh, or they'll, or they'll get like really, um, irritated that something's not completely correct. Right. With, with the thing, for example, Princess Jasmine, right. Is like, you can't tell where she's from. It's very ambiguous, right? You just know general region. 
And but it's on that it's like that on purpose, right? Like Princess Jasmine was made that way on purpose to appeal to the broadest amount of people. Um, same thing with um, Dora uh, the Explorer. You know, <laughs> I don't know about Dora the Explorer, but uh, um, but yeah, there there are a few others, but yeah, I just um, it, it's just uh, you know, it, it's you know, it, I think that there's some utility in it, and I see where you know, from a looking at, you know, they're doing, this is a lot of money to put into a project, right? They wouldn't be putting that money in there if it wasn't going to be profitable in some sort of way. And if there wasn't some, some studies on the audience that would, you know, view that favorably. So That's a good question though, as far as profitability goes, because there is this uh, score that uh, I think it was done in part by this guy named Larry Fink. I'm going to have to take a look at what exactly it is. But certain companies, they have to conform to certain standards of uh, like a certain racial makeup or certain diversity goals, uh, social justice goals. I have to look. It's like ESG. I think that's what it's called. I'm going to look up exactly what it is. But that's more of like the pressure that I'm talking about. Not so much social pressure, but actual company pressure not so much from the bottom line but more from but they still have to look at yeah so sure they, sure we can definitely say that and I, I i again will say like diversity for diversity's sake kind of cringe you know um but again that i don't think that the diverse the the makeup of the company is necessarily going to to influence the company into making bad monetary decisions they're still going to look at like they're going to look at the testing. They're going to look at the testing that they do with audiences. Um, and they're going to look at like, um, you know, surveys and things like that before they make a decision to dump a lot of money into something. Right. Um, so, uh, so yes, while there may be these diversity quotas within the company itself, this is still reliant on the market and, and on the audience. Mm. I don't know. Uh, Dan fan, Charlie, do you guys, as well as Ramon, do you guys agree with that? Any pushback on that note? <laughs> I mean, the companies are going to do what they're going to do. Like they, if they've got quotas of stuff that that's coming from the top down, I mean, it is what it is. Like that's, that's the decision they've made to go with and whether or not that's the right decision, you know, their sales will uh, reflect that. And maybe mm. it's not about having mass market sales because netflix's whole thing was targeting niches that was what they wanted they wanted to hit they wanted juggalos they wanted their version of a thousand super fans who would love their products forever rather than a million people that just you know kind of like it that's what they wanted and that was the model that they've kind of gone with for the last few years and maybe that'll work out long term maybe it won't maybe that maybe that connects with people better because I was talking about that, uh, what I found to be a rather dumpy adaptation of She-Ra. But people that loved it, loved it. And, mm. you know, if they love it, more power to them. Like, they can love it. Well, that kind of brings us to the question of the uh, thumbnail of the video, which is, is the social justice comics the future? I know in the beginning, Sardis, you weren't here, but we were talking with uh, Ramon about whether the corporate comics are being more popular, less, less popular. And Ramon, as you said, among the comic fans, the OG fans, a lot of these corporate comics, you know, not really doing it, but a lot of the people who are into more of the social justice themes, as you said, they end up going for the graphic novels. What I'm curious, though, about is whether it's graphic novels or comics or whatever, or movies for that case, 
Uh, I don't, you know, I uh, obviously nothing private having to do with, you know, your family. But as far as the environment that you're seeing in New York City among the kids who are growing up right now, you mentioned that there is an interest in protesting. Where do you think a lot of that comes from? Because if it's not coming from the uh, corporate comics, then is it coming from the schools? And yeah, I'm just curious about that part. Like, how do you think young people are being shaped today? And do you think that they are going to end up being shaped today towards more social justice, at which point a lot of these comics will become much more popular? Oh, and you're muted right now, so you got to unmute yourself. You're asking me, right? Yes, yes. I think you can't really paint uh, things with a broad brush. Um, my kids, we're a pretty liberal family, so my kids are pretty liberal. My daughter went to LaGuardia High School for the Arts, which is very liberal, right? But I have a student, a comic book creator, who lives out in Long Island, and he tells me all his friends and coworkers are very conservative. So you can't really paint a broad brush as everybody. It really come, depends on where people are growing up and people exactly. are, people, what, you know, what their parents are doing and what, the, what their friends are but, doing. But in a way, this and, is a very important thing, though, because see what you mentioned. You mentioned Long Island. You could have said Staten Island. The moment you would have said Staten Island, I would have said, well, of course, they're going to be Republican. You know, there are certain right. places where people are the way that they are. This is why I mentioned the coastal areas. I mean, people do have, you know, people on the right have this, uh, you know, saying of the quote unquote coastal elites. You know, that's how they call right. them. all yeah. the people that they hate that they end up seeing as making all of these globalistic decisions for them and getting rid of the working class in the United States uh, for international yada, yada, yada. So that is how they see people on the coast. But as far as the word liberal goes, this is this is where it gets interesting for me. I consider myself to be a liberal, a classic liberal. I want to put the word classic in before. And that's something that Stardust, as you know, liberals do who are dissatisfied with how the term liberal is being used today. But Ramon, how would you dis how would you define liberal as you're seeing it here? And I am going to tie it back into the comics as well. Don't worry. But how would you define liberal, Ramon? I think um, I think liberal is uh, to me just somebody who's who's uh, very uh, much more open, much more tolerant, much more uh, yeah I guess tolerant is probably the key word there. You know I think uh, I think liberals uh, and I'm talking about um, I think liberals also have their issues and their problems. There are things I don't like about liberals. Right. But definitely, I like the fact that as a group, we tend to be much more tolerant of other cultures of other people. Wait, what um, don't you like about liberals? Um, I think the fact that liberals tend to overthink things is why we're not very good as a political party. Um, the, to me, Republicans are so confident in their beliefs and in their mission. And I think liberals are so diverse. And always, and they're always, they're, they're, we're, we're, I think we're much more, uh, we, we have more doubt in the things we do. You know, we overanalyze things we do. So, so I think that's, that's what, and, and liberals are more, are, are less like, are, are more likely to not want to offend people. Or, uh, and, and I think liberals are less aggressive. Uh, so, so I think, I think those are the things that, it's, that, it's, uh, 
it's actually very, very funny because from the perspective of people on the right, I know Charlie. I mean, you're you're not on the left, on the right. You're like you're a Ninja Turtle, so you you don't even belong, you know, in the political spectrum. Uh, Stardust, I think you're more classically liberal. So maybe Stardust. Yeah, I'm Chicken Wing. Yes, exactly. Not left wing or right wing. I'm something. Yes, I don't know. Damn, fa- far worse. I don't damn fan uh, what uh, what your political thing is. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot about that either. If you don't want to, <laughs> if you don't want to answer, like I'm anonymous. <laughs> Anonymous. Okay, good. So right as far- wing, I understand. Got it. Yes, exactly. Uh, the, well, the correct term would be N- NDSAP, right? If I'm spelling that correctly. But anyway, uh, Stardust. Where yeah, I would just yeah. center left uh, liberal, I guess. You know, that that's what I would say. Mm. I'm not, you know, I'm not into, there's a lot of liberals nowadays who are using the liberal label but aren't really liberal and they're communists or whatever so Mm -hmm. well well that's kind of what i wanted to find out here because if we're talking about new york society if we're talking about uh, especially colleges in new york i would imagine that a lot of the characteristics characteristics that people who are let's say more on the right would level at you know again the coastal elites uh, the colleges would be the complete opposite of what ramon said so ramon you said that uh liberals are tolerant what people who are more on the right would say is that liberals are extremely intolerant of people that they perceive to be the enemy, where to them it oh, is a very see, clear friend-enemy distinction. I can see that. I can see that, but it's, it's, it's not liberals who want Christian prayers in schools, right? Does it go beyond Christian prayers, though, and more as far as certain other political opinions? Like, I don't know, Stardust, you talk with a lot of people. You talk with people who are more conservative. Where would you say the – what would you say the perception is of people who are more on the right towards people who are more on, you know, liberal, not with the classic in there, not not the centrist? We run into an issue where the far left is really like kneecapping us. Um, and so anything that the far left is saying automatically gets applied to the rest of like liberals, right? Um, and that can be very frustrating and very, um, it can be very hard to kind of like dispel that, I guess. Um, uh, I, I don't especially, disagree. Yeah. Yeah, so we do get we get kneecapped by that. if you're talking about just like like um just like perception of the uh, the right versus the left, right? It's always the perception is you know socialists, you know blue haired, um uh, all of that. When really there's a lot of people who are pretty center and they are not screaming all the time, um and they they want reasonable things and i think things that are good for the fa- for the the country and good for like families and things like that right um they just happen to be liberal so yeah i'm sure you could say the same, same thing about conservatives too oh wait wait hold on one, one at a time uh ramon and then dan fan and I'm, and I'm sure you could say the same thing about conservatives i'm sure there are very reasonable conservatives and and, and i know that yeah and and, and yeah and sure have, there is yeah and then a big, big, big difference yeah. between a moderate and then the far right jabronis those guys yeah. are the whole like the far left and the far right deserve each other i want them to get married <laughs> go to an island and sink well, the well, island horseshoe theory right uh, yeah so. exactly mm-hmm. i'm sorry but, uh, i interrupted dan fan oh yeah, yeah, well dan fan go for it Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, that's kind of how a lot of politics work. Everyone wants to make the other side out to be like this 
super evil enemy that you gotta fight against and that's how they push their causes that's how they push for people to vote for them is saying well we gotta defeat the other side it's us versus them you know hmm. well the other thing that people who would be more oh hold on aiden i sent you the link on to the Streamyard thing in discord so just go there and you'll be able to get another yeah aiden paladin's coming in soon i can't wait to hear about uh, what she thinks of this but anyway what I'm getting to here is that I think people on the right also perceive there being, and I, I kind of agree with them here, they perceive there being so much of a focus on how bad the West is, how guilty white people are, that it ends up becoming religious in a way. It ends up being like, a, because religion does not play as active of a role. Like, I don't know, like, I know that, for example, uh, uh, people from the Philippines, there's a lot of Catholicism. Uh, I don't know if Catholicism is still, like, uh, you know, alive and well. I believe it definitely is in the Philippines. But in a way, I think their perspective is when you take religion out of the equation, people are still going to yearn for some kind of a religious experience. And so their religious experience today would be, as far as you know, people who are white, for example, would be to say how horrible we are, how guilty we are, and just kind of like do that dance. And uh, in a way, I think it makes them feel pure. It makes them feel superior by saying that. I don't know. That seems to be the impression that I do kind of agree with uh, as far as how, how the people on the right talk about people on, on the left. And that, oh, Ramon, if that's also been something you've been uh, observing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see it all over social media. Well, we are going to have Aiden coming in here right now. I see device is not connected. Aiden, connect. There we go. Hello. hello. Yes, hey, I can. Hello. hello, Aiden. It's great. It's a great pleasure to see you once again. How have you been? I've been good. Th thanks. Sorry about the confusion. I was just like, <laughs> I didn't know what I was supposed to click on. It's great to um, uh, talk to all of you. I, uh, pretty much everybody I know, but I have not spoken to. Uh, really nice. Uh, no, we'll know of. <laughs> uh, if anyone else. Oh, no. Mm. Apparently, I've, I've done something weird with... with... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I'm no, sorry, no. no, no. Everything is good. Everything is fine. So, okay. So, Aiden... I want to, and I don't know, Ramon, how much time you have, but I would love for the two of you to actually have a little bit of a back and forth here. Uh, sure. I don't know how, how much you were able to hear from the conversation that we were having, but uh, to make... No, I was in a D and D game. It literally just wrapped up like five minutes ago. So I'm so sorry. It, no, no problem. To be happens to the best of us. Just gets here and you're like, all right, you two debate. <laughs> yes, Chat. Charlie's favorite. Charlie's also an avid uh, D and D player, right? Mm -hmm. I am the mask DM. Uh, sometimes I've got <laughs> stuff. Various uh, videos half finished uh, coming mm. soon. Okay, so before I continue, I just want to say, well, first of all, all the people subscribe and also, uh, yeah, subscribe and also retweet and all that. If you're in this video, retweet as well. Anyway, I'm not gonna say no more. Okay, what I want to get to is this. So. The conversation that I was having with Ramon, where I 100% agree with Ramon once again, that you are free today a lot more than you've ever been before to make your own stuff, to put it out there, and that's all good. My concern goes back to what are most people, Gen Z, Gen Alpha, and other, you know, afterwards, going to be influenced when it comes to the dominant culture? And I see comics as being a part of that. And we could say that corporate comics lean in a certain direction. But I wonder how much responsibility there is 
as far as people who are within that within that corporate zone, as well as people who are within the more um, graphic novel zone, including the publishers, as far as the kind of content they're putting out there. Is it somehow organized? Is it something that's just, like I said, I think the likeliest thing is that people don't want to offend people whose community they're in. So if you're living in New York City and you're engaged in a certain artistic profession, there's going to be certain themes that you're going to be more attracted to than others just because you don't want to be uh, the rotten egg. That's my perspective. I am not in the comics industry. So, Aiden, I don't know. You have been following this for quite a while. Mm -hmm. I would love for you to expand a little bit on what I was uh, talking about here. Um, well, I, I don't know. It, it's nice to meet you, Ramon. I, but uh, I, I don't know if you, you had something to, to say uh, first on this. Uh, my, my personal opinion on comic books is that sequential art is... Um, if we look at the history of all of humanity, sequential art is our, one of our like most basic forms of art. You're never going to stop people from making sequential art. It's how we tell stories. Hieroglyphics are in their own way, kind of a form of sequential art, which comic books are as well. So people are always going to make sequential art. The, the tides and turns of politics will change what kind of sequential art is made, but it's going to be made nonetheless. It seems endemic to the human experience to want to express ourselves in a way that is making art that tells a story in a sequential narrative manner. Um, so I, I don't know, for Gen Z, will they be more or less stifled by it? I, I really don't know. I, I truly do hope, though, that, that, that what we're seeing right now in terms of the post-comicsgate kind of stuff of people having the ability to make their own comics out of their own house, they don't have to work for Marvel or DC or even Image. They can make them in their own home and then they can produce this for a, a large number of people. I think that's awesome. And I hope that's what we see. Is it? And I think that what you get out of that ultimately is more creativity, more individuality and more good stories. By the way, Ramon, do you know what Comics Gate is? Yes, I do. Okay, so I'm glad we're on the uh, same page here. What is your opinion, by the way, of Comics Gate? I think they're entitled to their own opinion. What I don't like is when they harass creators. So, Aiden, I'm not as familiar with uh, what exactly <laughs> went down with Comics Gate. What was the harassment here? So, okay. It depends on who you ask about this question, right? Because the comics gate people with good rationale would say that they were the ones who were, har were harassed. And the people who are anti-comics gate would say that they're the ones who are harassed, which is the problem with perspective, right? Is that different people have different perspectives on things. And they can actually both be true at the same time. Um, and I think they probably are both true at the same time because the nature of social media is such that everyone's harassing everybody else to a certain degree. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... Um, Comics I feel gate. harassed right now. <laughs> yes. So, and and Charles, you actually probably would also know a lot about um, Comicsgate to, to give a better uh, maybe overview on it. But the the TLDR of it was that really they Marvel and DC were releasing these characters and doing these plots that people felt did not represent the desires and wishes of the fandom. And I don't just mean that they because the characters were more diverse, or or because they were you know, uh, people of color because they were more female or something. It was that because they were seemingly intentionally insulting comic book readers. And I know this because this was this started in about 2008 was when this started um, or, or the, the, the first kind of inklings of it, of feeling that the people who were who were comic book fans were essentially being dumped on and disrespected, which is this a really dumb thing to do as a company in a capitalist system. <laughs> you know, but I, I guess, you know, Marvel had been 
just been bought by Disney, so they, they felt uh, invulnerable. Uh, the reality is that since that kind of stuff happened, whatever you think of it, if you like it or not, the, the social justice sort of involvement into um, comic books, uh, the result has been an, a major and serious consistent decrease in sales. Now, it doesn't matter as much because DC is owned by Warner and, and Marvel's owned by Disney. So that doesn't really it's, it's not it cannot be the dark age of comics post, uh, you know, in the uh, 1990s where there were try cut, you know, uh, covers of trying to sell 15 different um you know, covers to try and make it for the fact that no one wants to buy the freaking comic book itself. Uh, we'll just do a, this attempt at collectors uh, in the eBay generation. So, uh, really, the comic book sales have, have been floundering for years. I think, we, well, it's not a question. It's a reality. We know that that's been happening. And comic book sales have been floundering because even if they are appealing to an audience, they're not appealing to the audience that buys comic books. And the people who buy comic books, by and large, we have to be pretty clear it's young men by and large it's young men and even when they made these comics for women there were that were more directed or aimed at women allegedly didn't really matter uh women aren't going out to a comic to to the you know lcs they just aren't and they never have and they probably won't ever um i don't know why but they don't seem to be doing that in, in large numbers enough to be able to to you know float the industry so the industry has been failing for about 10 years pretty seriously and adding in more and more diverse characters, more female characters as, as main stars to replace the, the, the white males or the black males sometimes, by the way, in some of these cases, uh, is, uh, is not helping the industry. Uh, I, I understand why people want to see themselves in comic books, but, but let's be real. There's also the entire massive industry of, of independent comic books that allows you to tell stories that would appeal to, let's say, you know, more marginalized groups. Uh, image comics has served that for a long time. I mean, and, and it's not just that, not just image. You, you have been able to find this diversity within the big two for a long time. It's just that it seemed to be a an outcry that didn't go anywhere and, and, and wasn't going to actually be taken seriously by the big two comic publishers in any way outside of pandering. Does that make sense? Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'll ask Ramon. Ramon, does uh, does that make sense? Or I mean, you already know about a lot of this stuff, so I'm just curious if you have any questions or pushback to what Aiden was talking about. Um, I actually, I think she was she was spot on, you know. Um, but my perspective is, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> it's like they want to do what they want to do. They they can do it. I'm making my own comic books. Mm. I'm making my exactly. own comic books. I'm I'm. I'm making the comic books that I want to make. I'm putting in diverse characters. I'm writing the stories that I want to write. You know, we can, we, you know, it's like Marvel DC, you know, whether I think I do agree that they are changing characters for the sake of diversity, as it's been mentioned before, diversity for diversity's sake. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I think it definitely could be done better, you know, but do I care? I don't care. Yeah, there's problem. a lot of room for independent creators oh, me, to take also, the thing and go. Also, let me, let me, let me, something that Lev also brought up earlier, you know, you're concerned about that these movements aren't influence, influencing youth today, right? I can guarantee you a very small percentage of the population is reading comments. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Don't worry, he's going to be back. It's a uh, weird camera uh, so, setting oh, on this part. If a small percentage of people are reading the comics... 
well, smaller now than even 10 years ago. Let's be I'm real. I'm wondering, you know, what's you know, the, you know, now that these movies, the, the movies and TV shows are starting to pick up from a lot of these storylines. I'm curious how people are receiving that. Hmm. Well, what I can tell you about see that, what their ratings are, what the if there's going to be pushback. Like, I know they did the Lady Thor. They did uh, Miss Marvel. I'm curious to see what they to do. Be with far, to be fair, Valkyrie and and Miss Marvel have been around for decades. They are not new characters in any way. Uh, what I would say though is that we've actually been doing well. Marvel, of course, and DC have been doing studies on this since they started making their major motion pictures, which is that the uptick in sales of comic revenue after a release of a major film is almost imperceivable. People do not go to a comic store to buy a Batman comic after a Batman movie is released. Well, why would you they? Know, they have the movie. They don't need the yeah. comic. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You <laughs> know, I wonder for, what toy for, sales for, are now. Are toys like, do, do kids even want toys in a world full of video games and iPads? Does hmm. a kid want the, the, like the action figures now? Those Marvel Legends toys are so much better than the, uh, the dumpy toy biz things I had as a kid. Where you could push a button and slide. Wolverine had a thing on his chest; it would slide <laughs> over, and it had like a little claw mark where he'd been slashed by something. Well, those are probably like the adult toys now, you know, like uh, well, sometimes literally. But uh, yeah, the, the action, those are action figures. For I was going to say, what do you mean by this? What kind <laughs> of Wolverine adult ask toy? Ask question. Um, I think I think Ramon was on to something when he was saying, if you think that there's like a, a like children are being influenced today by media, right? Uh, is it is it not also accurate to say that children were being impacted and influenced by media very negatively in the past right i mean that study that like they've recreated that study um uh oh, several I, times a, since since then so uh. um so uh so so i mean uh, like uh, i think um i think when you're not I think, you know, when, when somebody grows up and they see things that affect their self-esteem, I, I think, you know, and again, I'm not advocating for diversity for based on diversity's sake. Obviously, I think that, like, if there's a good storyline there, they should they should go with a good storyline and not just do it for diversity's sake. But 100%. I yeah, think, I agree. The, the cream's going to rise in the crop. But I do think, I do think that, you know, that it, it, seeing more diversity in these things isn't necessarily a bad thing. So. No, it's not. It, what's weird about that, though, and I, uh, just real quick, is that that's how I grew up in the 90s, was Marvel and DC were both full of diverse characters. Uh, and it, you didn't have to be, the plot of the comic wasn't based around necessarily how diverse the character was. It was based on their personality. Uh, I came to know those characters as people and, and know them as human beings rather than, well, they tick XYZ boxes. And that's the problem. Is that you can have, I mean, my, I don't know if it's obvious from the shirt that my avatar is wearing, but Daredevil is my favorite character in, in, in media in general. Yeah, I don't know, Ramon, can you see uh, Aiden's shirt over there? It's from, <laughs> it's a reference to the Mark Wade, uh, I'm not Daredevil uh, reference from 2008, 2010, like that. Uh, when, when, you know, Daredevil wore the, sh he got ousted, he was, you know, publicly, everyone knew that he right. was uh, Matt Murdock. And, you know, now is is Matt Mur Murdock a particularly diverse character for we're calculating stuff the way I don't know if you've seen Blizzard has a calculator of Ugh. how diverse a character is, and they'll put right. him on a little sheet, and you can do it all mathematically. Uh, I find that to be 
I mean, Daredevil. Frankly, offensive. But well, yeah, they basically do it on committee at this point. Yeah, it's like a, a disabled person, right? Because he's blind. He's, but he I, is I blind. Know. I mean, he he can technically see better than everybody because he's got radar vision. But yeah, he's. But a, I don't he's see a, a lot of blind kids wanting to read uh, comic books at Daredevil. Maybe they want to <laughs> well, hear the story, I don't, but I don't think a lot of blind kids can read Daredevil. To be fair, but unfortunately, <laughs> somebody could read it to them, I guess. But I, You're I don't kind know. of diversity for diversity's sake, guys. I mean, geez. Was there ever like a Braille comic? I want to take there, a look at this now. There's got to be, wonder. but I mean, like, you know, when I was like, Captain Marvel, when I got really into comics, would have been a, uh, 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 oh, what's her name? She was in the film, um, Quasar. Mary Marvel. Uh, not Quasar. Monica Rambeau. Ma Monica Rambeau. Um, which is, and I nobody cared. I mean, my my when I was a really little kid, my favorite comic book character was was Storm as a little white girl growing up in West Virginia, you know, like, Hell yeah, Storm uh, was awesome. Exactly. Everybody loves Storm. The X-Men cartoon Nobody cared in the 90s was so good about, like, that's how you do diversity, where it's a team of everybody sure. from around the world, and they're each different, and each approach, each would approach a, a problem completely different from the others. You know, Wolverine's idea of how to solve a problem was not the same as, you know, the Cajun Gambit or uh, Storm. Yeah, Wolverine was snicked. <laughs> That's yes. how he solves problems. Make yeah. you a convertible. <laughs> but uh, getting back to the uh, meat of this uh, thing, which I think is in not just comics, but also how young people are going to be more, I'd say, roboticized by what's coming down the road. Because if you were mentioning right now this diversity chart where a character has to tick these particular things in order to be this particular thing, it almost seems like with artificial intelligence coming down the road, certain things are going to be geared. Forget diversity, forget social justice. I think certain things are going to be geared to gain the maximum amount of attention from whatever it is kids see. Like, I don't know, Ramon, when mm. uh, your kids were growing up, I don't know if you had, like, iPads there, but the kids that I saw that were growing up with the iPads, when they go on YouTube and they click on all those finger mm -hmm. family videos, you mm -hmm. know, all those videos with the super bright backgrounds and these stupid, you know, you've heard of Elsa Gate probably, Ramon, right? Do you know no, Elsa Gate? Oh, so, Elsa oh. Gate was crazy. It was a YouTube series of videos where I, I think they were some kind of foreigners. They were like well, it, it, somewhere it in was, Eastern Europe, right? It doesn't matter where they were from. The reality is that the I don't mean to interrupt you, Charles. Sorry, but uh, uh, yeah, they dressed up they as different characters like Elsa and Spider Man, and they were doing really weird, like Elsa pregnant videos, and like Spider Man would chase her around the house. It was very bizarre. It felt. It, yeah. You know, it, it was a very strange thing. Well, it's they were meant to pick every algorithm bot that that might promote it to children. Spider-Man, mm. Elsa, finger friend, a finger painting, fun time, and there's all kinds of and weird, for some reason, creepy... pregnancy. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. And, and needles, like and needles, needles were. Yeah. There was a lot of needles too. I remember that one. Oh God. And feet. It was really weird. The whole thing yeah. was very bizarre. I, I. Now, even if they you could say canceled Elsagate. What is still going on are these videos for kids, even though they don't have any comments in there. They're like super bright colored. They have all these primary colors. So it's something, it's like candy. You get attracted to something that is so bright when you're, you know, like four years old, three years old. And the question to me is, 
and this, I think, does have something to do with comics as well. Are we headed towards the lowest common denominator being instantly stimulated by whatever entertainment we're going to see, whether it's comics on the internet, whether it's mm. online videos? When you look at the AI art. Like, what's to stop? Where where does it go from there? What's to stop somebody from making sequential art and then putting it together for a story? I'm sure somebody somewhere has already done that with these AI art things. Yeah, but it's going to get right. to a point where, like you were saying, it's going to hijack into your brain and know exactly what's going to peak, what's going to get people clicking, what's going to get people's eyes, what's going to get people interested, and it's going to get real weird. You're going to get a lot of, like, pregnancy feet, uh, weird needles <laughs> and teeth. Are the teeth very thing? strange. Yeah. Very it's a, strange content. you got to also know that these devices listen to you constantly. I was talking um, to people in private yesterday about a ride that I liked in a theme park that I went to as a child. And then today I show up on YouTube and it's all I see is, would you like to know oh, more no. about the history of this ride? Scary stuff. I know. But, but Ramon, the reason why I bring this up as well is, and yeah, you know what? I'm not going to pretend this isn't so much about comics anymore, but it is something that I'm very fascinated by. Because if we were talking about comics, what are comics at the end of the day? Comics are representations of images that people look at and get inspired by. Comics or, are culture. Yeah, comics are culture, exactly. So as far as the culture, whether it's drawn, animated, whether it's uh, on your television, whether it's uh, in a movie theater, you're getting something out of that that I think, if it's good, it's going to resonate with a very deep part of you. It's going to connect to certain mythologies, uh, you know, certain experiences maybe that your ancestors have had. And it's something that's going to give a lasting impression and give you a reason to keep on living, if I can be so dramatic in saying this. You know, like the, the most powerful of movies, I think, do that to people. Absolutely, but, it does. But then, when you have that same power to impact people like that wielded on kids who are super young through all these various uh, eye devices you could say that okay part of it could just be getting the lowest common denominator you know click 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 but how much is there a potential for this and this is more of the tinfoil hatted lev time how much more is there a potential for this to be used and abused by people who want to you know, do a little bit of social engineering, get people to be a certain way. So I don't know, Aiden, how much tinfoil had it can we get here? Uh, the general effect of, of in the total, um, if I were to truncate down my entire field of media psychology and look at media effects, even on children, it's quite low, actually. Mm. The thing is, is that it, it's, it's, it's very low. It barely reaches statistical significance. The thing is, is that media effects have to be reinforced by a broader society, and particularly in children, by familial uh, uh, reinforcement, right? Uh, just watch. This is the thing. Like, it's the same thing that, that we, a lot of us here who are a bit older, dealt with of, during the satanic panic or the, uh, the multiple satanic panics, right? That, oh, if you watch a movie where something, there, there's something bad that happens in it or something. If you play kids, Dungeons we... and Dragons, you're into the occult. Right, Ooh. as I just got done playing D&D, right? So, no, uh, that's, that's actually not what happens. Children are actually quite resilient to a lot of this stuff, um, but it, it has to be in an environment that is healthy for them outside of the media, where pa that parents can talk to their children about the media. And I also, I highly recommend if you if anyone has 
never read Understanding Comics, The Invisible Art by Scott McCloud, highly suggest that book. It is, I think, required reading if you want to understand how comics work as a medium um, of sequential art. I would highly suggest that. Uh, do I think that because woke comics, first of all, if you look at the demographics of who buys comic books, it's like 20 plus. It's not kids. Kids don't buy comics anymore. And part of the main reason for that, that I've spoken about at length in my, my personal stuff, is that used to be back in the day, you could buy comic books at a grocery store. Now you have to go to an LCS to do that. And it's so sad. Like, I remember being a little kid. Uh, my first comic book, I, I even bought it myself. It was The Amazing Spider-Ham. And it had on the cover, you had the Incredible <laughs> Hulk Bunny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had Captain America. I love that comic book. It was so good. And then the next week, I went and bought The Demon. Because I was that little kid who loved monsters. And the, the the shock of my parents like picking that up and going, oh, what have you got here? Oh, my God. <laughs> like, they had no idea, like, how crazy, like, the demon mm. in, in, let's say, 1989, 1990. Fairly crazy comic book for a little kid to be uh, picking up off the shelf and reading. But I loved it. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, like all these crazy monsters and energy blasts. And being able to just pick that up off the shelf at, you know, the video rental place, like that was so cool. I, I love that. And that's an experience that like kids aren't going to be able to walk through a video rental store. They're not going to be able to physically pick up a thing and look on the back of uh, the cover and, and try to find out what this movie is. There is no physical anymore, Charlie. We're all going to get into the pods oh, and we're all no, going to put on no our bugs. Don't put me in the pod. I want to own stuff. Real quick. I know. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I think I, I don't know what time it is there, but did, I, I think you did. You say you had to leave soon. Wait, Ramon, you're muted. Sorry. Oh, at, at eight. I'm sorry. Who's talking? Is that oh, me. Hello. I'm just, I don't know what time it is in the U.S. So I just want to make sure. I actually have to get talking. going myself. I'll so see it's you guys seven. later. All right, oh, Stardust. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you uh -huh, so much nice for coming in, as always. Uh -huh. Great to see, see you, ya. Stardust. Bye-bye. Bye. So, yeah, so Ramon, since you have to go at 8, I want to make sure that the two of you guys, before we conclude, have a little bit of a chance to uh, talk. And I think we are almost on the same page over here as far as how we see things going i don't really think that there is much of an issue with uh like ramon said starting your own independent business that's going to get exactly the kind of people that you want to get in it again the only thing that's really clashing for me here is issues having to do with uh what exactly is going to happen with the minds of uh younger kids and I, aiden I, I, yes um I like what Aiden said about how these things, uh, the impact on, on, on young people are, are very small. It has to be reinforced by familial mm. uh, influence, I guess. And um, a few years ago, uh, I discovered a bunch of not quite erotic, but pretty close to erotic manga on the Kindle, right? Oh, my. <laughs> a whole bunch, a whole bunch of manga, right? So I sat down with my son, and I must, he must have been 12 at the time. And I said, so I saw all these manga titles on here with a lot of, like, you know, with this, this steamy stuff. And he goes, yes, Dad. And I said, I just, now, I just want you to, I hope you realize that in real life, women don't want to be treated this way. And he goes, yes, Dad, I know. So, mm. and I left it at that, you know. And he's, he's a great kid, you know. He's very respectful. He's very, uh, very supportive of his sister him and his sister get get along great i know he has female friends and 
you know, he's very helpful, very, uh, he's, he's a great kid. And so whether or not that little talk was enough or he, he knew from beforehand that women don't want to be treated the way they, they get treated in these manga comic books where they're, you know, their skirts are always getting blown up so you can see their panties. You know, yeah, right? so. I, I wish there was more talk about people talking to the kids about that sort of stuff. Like, you know, as a kid, I was exposed to stuff like Conan the Barbarian. And Conan is, you know, at one point he's making love to a witch woman and throws her into a fire. Uh, so that's not necessarily, you know, something that little kids should be watching. But, yeah. you know, if you're like 12, 13, I don't, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. If you have that mm. parent to say, listen, man, like, you can't make love to witch women and just throw them into a fireplace when they give you the information you need. That's not cool. <laughs> or Gogo yeah, 13, who always has the same expression. You know, Charles, every time I can, he... Charles, I can tell you're not married. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just kidding, just kidding. Yeah, so. but the uh, you know you, you, to to be the parent like that's to have those conversations with kids to to be in that role you know the because it, it doesn't have to just be the parent it could be you know it, it, the uh, the line from that Guardians of the Galaxy it, yeah he might have been your your father but he wasn't your daddy you know to mm. have that that voice of reason in your ear to say listen you know this is a cartoon this is a comic book this. Yeah. Real life and cartoons are very different, pal. Yeah. You know, like this is. I think. Yeah, like, I think this. we should. I think we should worry about media influence if we accept the idea of giving up all control, all all upbringing of our children to the media. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Mm. That's like the if problem. a kid, but, if you tell me a kid's I, reading like like hardcore, like the really weird Japanese stuff, I'm like, I don't know about this, son. But if he's looking at Golgo 13 or, uh, you know, like those Conan, the Savage Sword of Conans would go pretty hard. Mm. Like that kind of stuff. You, you don't want them to go full Kurt Eichenwald is basically what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, don't, yes. don't go full Avoid Eichenwald. the tentacles. Avoid the, the tentacles. The important – that is the exact problem is that there are and, – and I mean my mom is a preschool teacher, right? And so she, she gets to – well, during the pandemic in particular when the school was closed – she went and did babysitting for a lot of these people's kids and saw what the kids did in their own home. And again, these are preschoolers, so they're three or four. And what they do at home for, she said, almost always, was they just sit there with a tablet and they just scroll and they click and they watch. And they're completely, they have no physical connection to things. And, and at that That's point, sad. you know, like, like... I know it's sad, but it's also like the parent really can't curate any of the things or even talk to their kid about the stuff they've seen if they've been exposed to 10 billion different yeah like how does a parent even be aware of what the kid's even watching on youtube because it's such a deep blue ocean of content Mm. you know it's not like when i was a kid you know the tv only had so many channels to flip through and so you know when i'm talking about watching robocop or predator my father knows what i'm talking about but if I start talking about Jack Skeptic Eye or Vsauce 2, my father's eyes glaze over now. And those are popular guys. Dad has no idea who Leon Lush is. Like, he doesn't know what that is. It, it, doesn't it's mean anything. It's the fact that not knowing about it. It's, a, it's the amount of content is so massive and it is right at their fingertips. All of it. Um, now I know that there are parental guidelines on these these iPads, yeah, supposedly, but how much? Do I don't think they work. I don't know how well they work, but I don't think they work Ooh. very well. Uh oh. Hold on, I think he's going to be uh, back over here because it's not uh, eight o'clock yet. So I think there may be a technical thing over here. 
Oh, Ramon. Okay, here we go. Yes, Ramon, you are back. I know you got to go soon. I, I know you have the hard stop. But uh, before you go, I wanted to address one final thing, which is exactly this community aspect that uh, we were talking about here. Well, more family aspect, more people who are within, you know, the people that you trust aspect. But then you have other people, for example, who are in schools that are saying, you know, don't talk to your parents about A, B, or C. You know, keep this a secret from them if we're talking about things having to do with gender identity, things of that nature, where it does seem like there is a wedge that is being driven in certain circumstances, which I think is very illiberal between the kids and their parents, mm -hmm. almost like they want to be you know, raising people who are very disconnected from anything, but whatever it is, they're told is the right thing. I don't know, like that's, that is more of the fertile, fertile ground, I'd say, where something like the social justice aspect that we may not be big fans of gets a chance to thrive. When parents are involved, you know, especially when they're common sense parents like yourself, it's a different story. So I don't know, Aiden, when it comes to that aspect of it, how much pressure is it there? I know Ramon has a hard stop. So if there's anything you could say like in two minutes and then Ramon, I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Let me know. Oh, let's let Ramon go first since he's going okay. to Okay. All right, Ramon, let me know no, what you Aiden, think. You Aiden, you go first, because I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out the, the, the question. Okay. Uh, about what parents should do, essentially, or what parents well, should allow? Not, no, not about what parents should do or allow, more about what exactly are we facing here when it comes to educational systems that want to tear away the parents from the children, as far as where the influence comes from. Okay, well, that is, now I have to be very clear, and this might not <laughs> rub everyone the right way, but that is a... a a very common tactic within uh, communist systems because uh, the whole idea is that there should not be any kind of structures within society that exist um, such that the parental child uh, foundation and, and connection is is fundamentally this is the idea and this is why it's being promoted by a lot of these people not all of them but many of them and you can ask them they will tell you in their own words that, that they are communists or they're socialists usually they'll say they're communists is that the the parental child uh, relationship is um, predatory or it's uh, discriminatory because it is a power system where the parent has power over the child. So <clears throat> what, what I think where that's coming from from people is that they're trying to give the child all this power, but the reality is that children do not have, the, the literally their brains are not de developed fully. So they really don't have the full capacities as, as adults do in terms of making decisions or thinking about things. So you do need the parent's involvement. Um, it appears to be that the the way to replace the parent is with the state. That's not a good idea. You still have a power system there, by the way. <laughs> you still have someone in power who's telling the child what to do or what to think. So uh, I don't think that what's happening right now is is helpful or beneficial to children. And, uh, and that in, involves comics as well in its own way. Uh, children are going to explore on their own. They're going to learn. They're going to have to. Uh, learn socially uh, via their involvement with their peers and that is normal and 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 healthy to do uh, the the over involvement either of parent or the state the over involvement to the point where the, the child can't explore is uh, is a, a problem I would say Ramon any uh, par parting thoughts on that I agree. I think that, um, but I think in the in the in the bottom line is that every parent has to stand up for what 
they believe in and what how they want they want their kids to be raised. Uh, so for me, I would never want to, my children to be in that situation or in, you know, I don't, I don't have any, any role in, in their education. Right. So, uh, so yeah, so I think it's, I, I, I have, I don't know what you're talking about, but from what <laughs> I gather, um, I don't like it. All right. The reason, Ramon, the reason why I'm bringing it up, just like in the final minute here that we are in is because. I want to make sure that the schools that the young people are going to, like in New York City, I'm very suspicious that a lot of this stuff is going on behind your back in these institutions. And yeah. I want to make sure that awareness is brought to that. I th- I, okay, so, um, yeah. My, my parting thought, really, for everything we've talked about is that we can talk about it or we can do something about it. So what are we going to do about it? I'm doing stuff about it. We should all be doing something about mm. it and just mm-hmm. talking about Definitely. it. Definitely. I completely Guys, agree. It's, it's been a pleasure. Right on, it's great yep. seeing you again. Nice to meet you. Great, great, great to see you, you too. It's a pleasure meeting everybody. Please Bye. connect with me on Facebook. I'd love to to hear what you guys are doing um, and, and uh, there's more. Where, where else can we find you? And what are you working on right now that we should uh, be aware of? Um, I'm going to be launching uh, a comic called The Wiz Kids from DARPA, which is a diverse set of kids who are geniuses work for the government you know and it's gonna no <laughs> right in the no, end lost him whiz kids yeah, just are put his links in the chat yes so sure, listen sure. Got... Uh, the, 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 the comic web comic is still okay. not out but i will i will put in the um the, the link for um for the school for the online course Whiz kids from DARPA. I wonder if they're going to write any of those robot dogs. You know the big dogs. You know what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, the, the Boston Dynamics one. Yeah. Yes, exactly. There's a lot of craziness um, you know, going thanks, on there. Thanks. I'm always looking for ideas for the comic, and that's a great, I, great, great <laughs> yes. idea right there. Thank you very much. You're, you're welcome. That one's for okay, free, guys. All right, Ramon. Thank you I very think, much for coming in. All okay. right. Okay. Take care. Take care. So, listen, guys, if you have been enjoying the show, be sure to give a subscription. BreakTheRules.tv is where you go. Uh, very much appreciated. And if you want to further help out the show, Patreon.com slash BreakTheRules. Become a patron today. We are going to appreciate the heaven out of that. So, let listen, this is very important that we got somebody like the R- Ramon to come in here he's in new york city he's in fit you know big university and i think that he has a very good balanced perspective on a lot of these things that were uh, talked about here but what vibe do you guys get necessarily if what is uh, necessarily that doesn't even fit into the sentence listen a spider bit me today probably so i was having chills in the beginning they're gone oh, yeah. out you might you're get gonna... superpowers yeah you're gonna turn to spider-man exactly it's very thematic <laughs> but listen the important thing here is that my consciousness is still here i'm still able to function like a human being i think so anyway without further ado I'm trying to get the thoughts in my head out there, which is basically, yes, comics is something interesting, you know, diversity, social justice in comics. We've been down that road already. I want to take a look at the future now. I want to take a look at how exactly human beings, starting with the young generations, are going to start functioning right now. Whether we're going to be lost in this uh, bunch of noise, whether we're just going to be stimulated in our pods, or what exactly is awaiting us here. So I don't know, Aiden, you look very deeply at the way that uh, human minds work 
any uh, predictions, <laughs> anything you see down the line? Well, I, I, I don't know. But I am always reminded, or not always, but often reminded of an Isaac Asimov quote, which is that, and, and he's talking about science fiction here, but I would, I would expand it to apply to comic books as well, because comic books are expressions of human creativity. Isaac Asimov said, individual science fiction, but let's say comic book stories, may seem as trivial as ever to the blinded critics and philosophers of, of today. But the core of comic books is in essence, has become crucial to our salvation if we are to be saved at all. And I, I do actually think that, that that's kind of true. Our ability to tell stories is so innate to human evolution. We develop this around the campfire, you know, we, we develop this capacity to tell stories and sequential art is just one way that we tell stories. It's one of the oldest ways that we tell stories. It's in, it's cave art, you know, that's how you tell a story. And it's, it's very important to convey cultural meaning. Comic books, as, as trivial as they may seem, as Isaac Asimov wrote there about the science fiction story, as trivially as it may seem, is a conveyor of cultural meaning. So I do think comic books are very important. And that's why I don't want to see them be destroyed or fail. Um, you know, we could look at Superman as kind of the exemplar of this, right? You know, Simon and Schuster, uh, who, uh, correct? Simon and Schuster is a different, no, <laughs> different group of no. people. Different group of people. <laughs> God no, damn. two different fellas. Yeah, my brain's messed up. Uh, the two guys who created Superman, right, were, were two men who escaped from the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. And why, when, when you read why they described it, what Superman was. Was he a golem? Yes. They do say that he, they, they took some of the idea from him from, from Jewish uh, literature and lore. Uh, and, and part of it was as, as a protective figure. But I think that that applies to the entirety of humanity, not just the Jewish people. And I think that's what they meant by him as well. Was not just to protect the Jewish people, but to protect everybody. To look at this figure who represents a truth, justice, in the American way. And to look up to that figure. And that that in the same way that a golem works, right? I'm talking about in Talmudic, mytholo Talmudic mythology, that the idea of a golem protects the community. Now, in that case, it would be an actual golem protecting the community in, in terms of the historical legacy. But the idea of Superman as being protective of truth, justice, and the American way should be in the same way protective of those ideas. And... and both emblematic and protective of them. I think that's super important and it, it's exemplary of the importance of comic books of showing how you can take a picture on a piece of paper and make it iconography. Mm, that's very beautifully said. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> close enough, I guess. Well, damn fan, do you agree with the uh, Superman Golem analogy? What, what do you think? Uh, I have no idea about that. <laughs> I'm, I mean, most of my knowledge comes from a lot of the modern comics, and even then, it's like I'm more of a manga reader than anything else. Mm. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, comics, even if they die, manga's still alive. Well, manga has lit up comic yeah. books in America. Like, they've eaten their lunch. I mean, it's they've eaten their dinner at this point. Well, you like, know why? Because it's good. Yeah. <laughs> the cream <laughs> rises to the top. To the top. <laughs> so it doesn't even matter at the end of God the day whether... Yeah. 
Uh, I love Randy. Whether there is or isn't going to be American uh, comics anymore, because the Japanese are still doing it, the French are still doing it. Yeah. So yeah, those it's French not really. Comics. I don't. I don't think it's going yeah. to die out. But again, my and again, I keep using the word concern. You know, deeply concerned. I don't think. I don't think I'm as concerned about a lot of. Uh, you know, fuck it. Life is going to go the way it goes. We don't know exactly how people are going to react to the technological think, changes. Uh, I think Ramon was really onto something like saying, go out and make your own stuff, Definitely. build your own roads. Like that's, that's the perfect thing to try to do is to do your own thing and see. Cause you know, like I said, the Ninja Turtles were made by two guys. There's two dudes just sitting in their living room, drawing stuff. And look at what that was. Look at image comics. Like all those artists got together and went and did their own thing and look at all the success they've had. You know, it's possible. Yeah. Like, you can't... Star Wars only exists because George Lucas could not get the rights to Flash Gordon. Yes, he made exactly. his own damn Flash Gordon. And and to quote Kendrick Lamar, build your own pyramids, write your own hieroglyphs. Uh, it's, it's incredibly daunting when you put it that way. But everything is daunting. And and that's the kind of the beauty of the comic skate movement of being like, you know what? You don't want... You don't like us. You don't want us. Marvel and DC. Or even Image. Fine. We'll make our own comic books. Mm. With hookers and blackjack. Wait, <laughs> yeah. wait, why was uh, Doug Tanapel complaining uh, about uh, Comic Skate? I don't sure really understand uh, what Doug's up about. Kind of stuff, the... Oh, he, I, I, I don't, I'm not, I have to be quite clear, I am not at all aware what's going on within the Comic Skate part with Doug Tanapel, but I do know that he's kind of burned as far as I can tell, like his bridge with everybody else in Comics Gate. I don't know why. He just has. I don't know anything about him. I just know that he's burning bridges and not a good idea when you're talking about trying to, to build a community um, based. Uh, yeah, it's, it is about people being able to not just build your own thing, which I think is very important, but also being able to have some kind of a, I mean, I may sound a bit like a commie for saying it, but some kind of solidarity, you know, having some kind of solidarity with people that even if you disagree with them politically, even if you disagree with them uh, culturally, if there is something where you can unite together against a bigger force and support each other, I think that that could be a good thing. I mean, my the enemy my, of yeah. my enemy is my friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my problem that I'm uh, seeing right now is more that there are certain people that are supporting causes that I really, really don't like. And I'm sure, uh, Aiden, you've been in this uh, boat, too, where people around you, even if you agree with them on one thing, they're going mm. to be all the way on the other side when it comes to this other thing that's extremely important to you. And all of a sudden, it's like, yeah. God, you know, it's it, it, it's difficult because it is the kind of stuff. I mean, maybe that's where Tenapple's coming from, that it uh, ends up tearing people tearing people apart. I mean, I do want to do a stream later on with you, uh, Aiden, about uh, Russia. I think that would be a very interesting one. Oh, right. That, that would be that would Yeah, because yeah, to me, disagree. we would probably disagree. But to me, that was always a very big thing because the way that I look at it, and again, I'm not going to do the Russia stream right now, just so we're not talking. No, I know, but yeah. you're, you're from Eastern Europe, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I'm from St. Petersburg. I was born, oh, wow. I, I yeah. was born in Russia, and I have a lot of people who are still 
there and people who were very involved with the things that went down after perestroika during the early 90s during the battle days so these are people who like personally knew putin they right. knew what exactly was, was going on there and I, so i don't think you can blame putin for perestroika <laughs> and so no but my the perspective that i have just with the people who i know is very different from people who i notice in more of the uh, online dissident communities where they see NATO as being the bigger threat, they see it as being, and I know you did a whole video where you were talking talking about certain justifications that we can go into that later on. Yeah, it's a whole different. Yeah, but <laughs> but my my point is a little bit bigger though. My point is that the way that I look at it, it's kind of like you have uh, you're like Winston Churchill in World War Two, and maybe we'll disagree about that too. Uh, who knows? But you're like Winston Churchill in World War Two. And you know that Hitler's going to start taking over more shit. Yeah, and you're I, starting I, well, to convince people of it, and nobody's listening. Why? Well, because nobody. MacArthur in, in the Korean War. Yeah, not, Just not in nuke favor. everybody. Nuke yeah, them all. In, I, I'm more in favor of, 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 of MacArthur, not in that part. Not in nuke terms the of whales. the glass. Not in, in terms of Gotta the gla glassing everybody. But, and I'm also not in favor of a lot of, of, lot of what, <laughs> what Churchill said. But that's for a totally different time. Um, what I would say, though, and what I've I've found to be um, very helpful for me, and maybe it's in part because I found Christ and stuff like that. I'm not going to say that that's why, but uh, I do think that you got to listen to people, like even people you disagree with, and you know you're going to disagree with, but you got to listen to them. Do you know what I mean? Um, and and I didn't do that for a whole lot of my time on YouTube. I didn't mm. listen to people I disagreed with. I just went like, <laughs> fucking lefty idiot. Um, but that's not helpful, actually. That I think just that shows creates growth. further division. There's, <laughs> I would hope so. There's something <laughs> to talking to people that have completely different ideologies than you. Yeah. Uh, there was something beautiful about the Monty Python guys. There was, uh, mm. it was John Cleese was talking about, uh, oh man, the one that directs the movies and did the cartoons. Uh, he said he, he uh, loved Terry Gilliam. Yeah, loved Terry Gilliam dearly. But anytime they talked about politics or religion, yeah. he wanted to fist fight them. Yeah, yeah. So you know, but he said that this man was my brother, and I love him dearly, and and you know, but we just we never saw eye to eye about that sort of thing. But we're still pals, and I think there's something beautiful about that. That's uh, that's what I love about break the rules is you get thrown on with people, and you don't know if you're gonna be at each other's throats and be uh, uh, you know friendly with one another the next minute. I think what I would preach if I could preach anything <laughs> is that. Everybody's got to calm the fuck down, okay? <laughs> like, just, just, like, I know wherever you're at, calm it down by, like, 50%. Wherever you're at. <laughs> just, just, just in general, do it. Wherever I, you're at. I keep telling people to down. laugh more. Like, yeah, enjoy laugh. life. Find what gives you joy. Find things to laugh about. Find things that'll make you feel, you know, yeah. enriched by it. Like, conversation with people. You know, there's, there's something to to the interaction with other people like human beings are social creatures and not having that isolating yourself and being you know walled off from everybody like you said you know this it's the uh the ostrich thing where it's i stick my head in the sand and if i don't see it it doesn't exist you can't do that because this stuff exists like the comics gate guys are going off doing their things the marvel comics uh the social justice -y stuff like they're doing their thing and both can exist and both could thrive given the, you know, a good enough story yeah. will get people, people interested. Talk. 
people gotta mm. talk because the whole reason that I think a lot of the comics gate stuff happened, and not just comics gate, but all over the this 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 sector, right? It's because nobody talks to each other. There there is no capacity, and I do feel bad because like I I've seen people like let's be real, I've seen people like Sargon who have tried to talk to people like Christy Winters and actually brought them in. It, you know, Christy Winters was a, a really hardcore feminist, brought her in to talk, and she really didn't have any desire to do it. You can't help that, okay? You can't mm. fix that. If the uh, if, if the people don't aren't, aren't interested in talking or engaging, you, you, there's nothing you can mm. do. But but you can try at least, I guess. Yeah. Well, well something that's uh, not been tried as much, except for break the rules, except for what happened today, was bringing in people who are from completely different fields. Like Aiden, you may have different disagreements, debates with people on the internet. And for the most part, they're going to be people who are used to this kind of culture, right? They're going to be people who are used to this kind of back and forth. But people who come from more of an environment such as Ramon, for example, other mm -hmm. people in New York City, where they have their career, they have their social network of people that they grew up with. And, you know, they're like nice, regular people. But there are certain things right. that they may not uh, be privy to, like especially towards the end when we were talking about like what may be going on in the schools as far as like this division, you know, between the kids and the family. And again, I don't know the schools that all my friends oh. have their kids uh, at, but I did hear bad stories. For example, we had a guest on Break the Rules who taught at a very prestigious New York City school where they really wanted to promote critical race theory. And he stood up against that, and he was fired because of that. So I imagine that this is something but that But of course, remember, critical race theory doesn't even exist. It's fake. It's a made-up thing, uh, unless you oppose it, in which case you can lose your job. Yeah, I mean, like, that, that kind of stuff is, is absurdist. But it, it's because, exactly the, what you were saying, though, I, I think we had a productive conversation, even though I, I, I don't think Ramona would probably agree on anything political. But I think we could agree on, on comics. You know what I mean? Yes. But no, but it's more about the awareness because if this is something that is happening that people just don't fucking know about, you know, like I could easily imagine there being a lot of people who bring their kids to school and who, you know, have their kids come back from school and everybody's just vibing at their own, you know, at their own uh, level of vibration. I don't think this is something that a lot of parents are even aware of. I mean, it wasn't recent no, that uh, no. parents started standing up against a lot of this stuff uh, more, you know, less in New York City, more in the uh, Trump supporting states. They started having these protests and then the FBI started going against the parents, you know, labeling them terrorists or something like that. Look, like, I, I know. Unbelievable. Crazy stuff. Well, does, again, because what they were teaching the kids in these states was <sighs> we're telling your children specifically to not talk to you. About yeah, that's that not having. cool. You can't tell kids that. Do you, I, that, do you think that? Do you think that's why, by the way, that a lot of these parents are clueless? Maybe. I mean, considering Probably. the schools are. Sorry, Dan Fan, go ahead. Uh, no, you can go ahead. I, I'm uh, the one. Who oh, Dan Fan, you're so nice. Are you yeah, Canadian? Dan Fan, you haven't talked in forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The floor is yours. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you a brief story. Part of the reason why I do the DCYA read-throughs is so that people know what's in the book because a lot of parents buy them for their kids without knowing what exactly is in there or what morals are being taught. And I've had instances where parents like go up to my table when I'm selling comics and they tell me about how like a librarian or a teacher suggested a book for their kid 
uh, one of them was like eight years old and uh, she she just assumes that like the librarian knew what to suggest to the kid but apparently the book had a lot of not so good for kids stuff in it including like sex scenes and stuff like that and I feel like you know, that happens to a lot of parents where they just, they don't know. They assume that everything's fine. They assume that like the people suggesting these books or the people selling these books were doing it because they have like the, the right intentions. Maybe they do. I don't know. But that's definitely a big mistake to make when you're giving an eight-year-old a book that has like cursing and sex scenes in it. Uh, but yeah, so part of the reason why I, I do the DCYA read-throughs is to show people what's actually in the book, react, and uh, give my own opinion on whether or not they're like good morals or whether or not it's a good book to actually mm -hmm. suggest to people. The recent read-through that I did was Under the Moon, and that had some pretty not-so-great stuff for kids to be reading, uh, glorifying self-harm, glorifying homelessness, glorifying oh, joining glorifying the cult. It was really crazy. <laughs> Oh my god. What in the, how do you glorify homelessness? Like, uh, hey kids, here's the virtues of being a bum. <laughs> no, it did though. It was oh like, oh, Selena's so brave being independent and refusing everyone's help. Yeah, just being a moron living out on the streets, not able to wipe your own ass shitting in the street. Like, what is that? Uh, as I said earlier though, the now, 60 years of media psychology research shows that the influence of media on behavior is basically nominal. It doesn't do a whole lot. But that's individual influence of media. What we don't have a good idea of, even after 60 years of research, is the idea of chronic exposure to media, right? Mm. So we don't terminally have... online, folks. What, well, what, how, how cursed we've, are they? We've got some new research on the, the terminally online people. And I'll, mm. I'll tell you what the research on the terminally online people is. They are depressed. They have extremely low self-esteem. Uh, they, they, they are constantly preoccupied with, with checking social media and with checking mm. their phones. Uh, that stuff's not healthy. Absolutely. What about what about cooming? Are they coomers? I don't. I don't. Well, I haven't looked at that research. Uh, I'm sure it exists. <laughs> I guarantee. If I what do I they think this... about memes? Are they mean people? Meme or mean? <laughs> I said meme. Uh, well, I As don't in know about meme that. Meme bastards. Well, I don't know what either one, but I would tell you that if you're, if you're addicted to something, we all kind of know, well, maybe not we all know, but we kind of know what addicts are like. And if addicts can't get what they want, addicts can become very, very mean. Addicts can, addicts can become very aggressive. And so if we're talking about removing social media, and we do know, by the way, that social media is addictive. Okay. Uh, this is very thoroughly studied research. Social media is addictive, particularly things like TikTok. I I had I had downloaded TikTok about two months ago, just to look at it. Right? Oh no! Oh no! Aiden, what did you do? You well, opened I, Pandora's box. I know I did. And so what I do is that before I go to sleep at night, I will sit there and I'll browse through some TikToks. Uh, and what TikTok is really good at figuring out what you want to watch. It's its algorithm is extremely good. So what it knows that I want to watch is that I want to watch uh, people making things like creative stuff, uh, home renovations, and pimple popping. 
And that's oh, <laughs> what it's oh. And I, every time I look at those, I go like, ow. Wait, yeah. Aiden. Aiden, if you're. I just if, gotta see it. I gotta if, see what happens, you know. Aiden, why? Aiden, if you're into the pimple I popping, to. I highly recommend you look up the videos where they. Um, uh, oh, really remove the it. skin remove the skin for not the skin where they clean the uh cow hooves you know when they remove mm. like there's some there's mm-hmm. some piece of metal that's stuck inside the cow's hoof oh. yeah it's, you know it's sa- no it's satisfying kind of stuff it's, it's oh, same, i hate like... that i i'm just <laughs> the algorithm the algorithm will occasionally put one of those up and i can't hit dislike and block and 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 just get away from that yeah. kind of stuff <laughs> But it, but it, but it, but it, but it's so it's so satisfying. Oh, like when, when they take really when he takes the knife when he takes the knife and he like yeah, slowly like starts this. yeah he slow slowly starts like to uh, work on the uh, cow shoe what do you call it like the hoof and all of a sudden he gets to a certain level and blood just starts spurting oh. out. No 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 I don't want to see that no 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 that's horrible yeah. that's horrible no I don't like that. No, no, but that's such a relief for the cow because the cow's been walking all... Yes, because the cow's been walking all this time with some piece of metal stuck in this area. So as soon as the blood comes out, that's like the pressure's been building up. Oh my God, that's so gross. I I, I haven't seen seen those. The the, the zit videos, I get it because it's like... Because it's it's the same thing with the housing renovation videos. It's like, oh, okay, this is... I don't know, it, it does something for me where it's like, oh, okay. And, and the zit videos, every time I see them, I'm like, ah, ooh, gross, ew. But then I have to watch because like, yeah. like, oh, what, what, what's going to happen, you know? <laughs> Dan Pan, what is it for you? What's your guilty pleasure? Uh, I like the videos where the cute turtle eats a strawberry. That's those good. Are good. Very see, that's true. Good. We can mm-hmm. watch those the turtle eat a strawberry. For, uh, <laughs> for me, my guilty pleasure is the uh, Tim and Eric videos, especially... <laughs> Especially can't the get enough of them, can't, can't get. get enough. Yeah, I watch them on repeat. Especially the on cinema Oscar special. I don't know if you guys uh, watch on cinema. If you know what that yeah, is, yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, Aiden, how would you describe on cinema? Because I don't even know if you can de- describe uh, it properly. It's avant garde, I suppose. Is, is that you think a good way of describing it? Very. It feels like a spoof of Siskel and Ebert kind of stuff. It's a little bit of that. Like in the parody, in, in the way, exaggeration of it. But there's just there's so many levels to it. I'm not gonna yeah. describe everything. Yeah, but... it's not just like that's the the core premise is two guys talking about a movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's so much weirder than that because they go so far off into the just nightmares. And right, there's right. there's there's characters behind that. There's for example with Tim Heidecker's character, he is this. I mean, he is this Trump supporting guy who's. Republican, but also he, uh, what's the best way to say it? He has this absolute hatred for everything that his partner, and he doesn't even call him a partner. I know you hate Tim and Eric. The Sam Hyde, I get it. Uh, I don't care. Listen. Well, I, yeah. I, I mean, I you know. Like, I really yeah. don't like Tim Heidecker because of the shit he's done. Yes. I've seen some of his more recent stuff. And, and by the way, I, I don't think that politics should influence media unless the politic becomes the media right so true but with on cinema i think he's doing it to such a genius level that even for the mm. people who are trump supporters yes you have to listen there was there was I've a, watched an a episode. bit of it and i i was out like i i just couldn't you have to watch okay you have to watch the whole thing including the I, I, trial yeah. of tim heidecker 
And uh, Lev, just, I don't have that kind of time. I got memes to post, man. I got I got, okay. got yeah. D D wow. games. I got this Charles has got memes to post on Twitter, and Charles is of course the biggest memer on Twitter. Of so course. He, he's got important there is work to do. Very important work. There's no free time. No, but yeah, as far it never as ends. as far as something that I would put time into, just as far as something I consider to be a work of genius, I would say that it is on cinema. I cannot speak more highly of on cinema. I watch. What have, I what have, I, I've, I've seen Stimpies. little bits of it, but I, what I've seen, I've been kind of like, eh, on. So because, okay, because, the be, yeah, because you're seeing the individual episodes, and the individual episodes, they don't do justice to the entire thing. It's like you have to get the whole thing in, and then you understand it. It's then like you one of those paintings Oprah would always How have on, where it's a thousand pictures of, like, war vets, and then it, it pulls out, and it's actually Oprah's face. Liv, how many hours are you suggesting that I spend to watch this? Only 9,000. Mm, I'm not. I'm not gonna say. I mean, it has been around for a while. But look, look at it this way. Look at it this way. I don't watch. I don't play video games. I don't watch TV. I hardly watch any movies. I just watch. See, that's where you're messing up. I watch. Dune. I just watch I on cinema. Watch Dune this morning. I just watch on cinema. Which that's one? all I watch. Uh, the the new Dune. Did you like it? Ate it. It wasn't. As, <laughs> it, it didn't go as creative and big as the old Dune. Uh, I, I feel like I'm due. Uh, I just bought uh, a box set of the Dune books. I just like I'm 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 due to read Dune again. We got to find out. We got we, we got to see how it holds up because 15 year old Charlie really loved it. Let's see yeah. what 35 year old Charlie feels about it. Yo, I'm I'm getting real fucking upset or or not upset, nervous because my two favorite series are. I know that they're they're being optioned to, to be made into TV shows and movies because what is not at this point? So Kingkiller Chronicle and Stormlight Archive are almost definitely about to be optioned if they haven't already. Stormlight Archive probably not so much because um, the author uh, is very autistic and I think he will not allow that. Uh, Kingkiller, he's probably trying to sell that shit as fast as possible because uh, he he is very bad at writing in terms of keeping up on his work. Uh, but if you don't know, the guy who writes the Stormlight Archive uh, is the guy who finished um, Wheel of Time. Mm. Hmm. Nice. All right, guys. Brando, Brando Sando. Yeah, I feel like we really got out in the weeds here. Haven't <laughs> yes, <you>? yes. Before <laughs> Remember when this was about comic books. <laughs> oh God, those were the days, weren't they, fellas? You know, they're changing the Punisher's logo because of uh, its use from right wing groups. I yes. would love to see right wing groups just use the new symbol. Just all of them, 100%. Just take that new symbol, and that's the symbol. Mm, Definitely. Maverick Christian, two U.S. dollars. Damn fan needs to talk more. Yeah, that's right. Damn Damn fan, you've been so shy. What's... uh... I mean, I'm always like this. Whenever anyone invites me on a live stream, I'll Uh, end up just, like, listening to everyone else and not talking as much. The panel shows it's a weird skill set to kind of get used to because you don't want to talk over somebody. But if I get a good joke that I want to cram in, I got to go for it at the same time. So I'm just going to try to try to pick your spots for that sort of stuff. I, hmm. I, I unfortunately have the opposite problem due to autism of like, I'll be like, oh, I'll just shut, I never shut up. Yeah. <laughs> My bad. So you I don't need to shut up. I always right? call it autism, like A-U-G-H-T. You ought, uh, people Aww. say you ought to do this. Aww, you ought to do that. Yeah. Autism. No, not autism as in cute. Autism as in, you know, you ought to do this, you ought to do that. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I have more of the autism. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, if I get annoying, just tell me to shut the fuck up. I just, I, I don't have the capacity to tell if I'm being annoying. No, no, no. You're, you're always cool. Uh, listen, okay. Oh, I'll give you, geez. I'll give you one final example of why I like on cinema. And I'm gonna drop on cinema. No more on cinema. Okay. Here's the example. Okay. How's the diverse? They had cinema. It's not bad, actually. They got this new black guy named Roy LaRue who does this rap, and he was rapping. Uh, he, was like a, he, he was like a QAnon uh, dude, and he was rapping about, like, uh, our country's like an empty cup waiting for the people to rise on up. Lock and load as the bombs explode. Deep state coming for you down the road. Raise the flag, red, white, and blue. Use your mind like Roy LaRue. Build the wall. Just stand tall. Uh, hold on, the last lyric was even was like the best. Uh, I'm intentionally don't kneel, don't kneel uh, before you click. Uh, don't kneel before you throw the ball. You know, in referencing to people who kneel down. And anyway, so that was uh, Roy Larue. But beyond Roy Larue, there was a bit that I really loved, where they got this old guy who claimed to be James Dean, who faked his own death, and oh. wrote a book about it. And Tim Heidecker is incredibly hateful of all of these old-timey people that his co-host Greg Turkington brings on the show because, in a way, I think it symbolizes decay. You know, like, Greg is always into, like, popcorn classics where he brings up these movies that not a lot of people care about from the 1980s and so on and so forth, and he showcases them. And Tim... And they're all on VHS, by the way. That's the other thing. Because his co-host considers VHS to be the proper medium for watching movies. And so Tim, like, always sets fire to his VHS collection and just, like, does horrible things to all the people that he wants to bring in. So he wanted to bring in, and he brought in the uh, guy who claims to be James Dean. And so they decided to do a DNA test in order to prove whether this was the real James Dean. And how they did it was that his co-host who brought him in had a... Um, uh, he discovered his pants, his jeans, James Dean's original jeans from Rebel Without a Cause that were kept in this museum of the stars or whatever. And he said that we found, uh, we found a piece of James Dean's hair in the zipper area of the jeans. So if we study this piece of hair, we will determine whether or not this guy who claims to be James Dean is James Dean. And as it was discovered, he, that this old guy, the DNA test proved correct. But that did not mean that he's James Dean. Huh. What, did it, what did it mean? Do you get it or no? No? Whether or not I get it, uh, do I like it? That's the better question. Okay, I'll tell you what it was. So the spoiler is that because the DNA of hair, uh, because the DNA was extracted from the hair that was on the um, genes uh, uh, area, you get it now, right? Oh, uh, okay, okay. So yep. this old, so this old guy <laughs> pretending to be James Dean was actually James Dean's uh, like lover. So that's the. That's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. That's the genius behind on cinema. Yeah, that's just a portion you know, of it. Like, there's a lot of rumors about yeah. what James Dane was up to. Like, is that is is that even if that's true, which I all believe it's true. That's what is I it, heard. Is somebody who was James Dean's lover, or someone who just got James Dean's pants? No, because he, the, these were in his pants. They were in the museum. He he did not bring those pants in. So his hair. Was yes, found in the, in the, in the it, zipper. It belongs in a museum. Yeah, it was well, in a museum. Saying, yes, and how could you prove that because there was someone else's hair on it that it meant that they were gay lovers? 
It was in the ge- it was in the zipper area of the jeans that James Dean wore. Well, let me tell you something. <clears throat> I, I, I of, the, of this James old guy who claims to be James Dean. I mean, this entire story is what? fictional, just so you know. This is not a real story. Well, let oh, me I tell you. Story. No, no, this is entire. That's my point. This is this whole thing was a okay. work of fiction it's, it's for on cinema. Yes. You know, that's the thing, kind of thing that could be spun if it was a real story in, in all kinds of ways. But all I know for a fact is that uh, I I have bleached my hair every year for the last five years. So I have bleach white hair that is down, like, past my shoulders. And it comes off very easily because it's been bleached. So if... If you were to, like, do a forensic analysis of my apartment, there's my hair all over my husband's clothing, right? Like... Yes, but now you're now you're being but now you're being overly detailed about it. Where I'm just saying, I'm just saying, problem with the story. I'm not. I'm not saying it's an incorrect story. Just saying, problem with the story. No, but this is like this is kind of like a well, actually, moment that kind of uh, ruins the story. You know that they tried to set up here because they were pointing to. It's like yes, there could have been other ways that this hair got to here, but this was a hair that belonged to this old guy who claimed to be James Dean. So... Yeah, well, guess what? When... <laughs> okay, if I'm brushing my hair... No, but that's my, you my... brushing your hair. That's you brushing Dude, your hair. My husband was literally down here like 10 seconds ago. He could have told you how annoyed he is that, his, that my hair ends up in his fucking drawers. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, on no, total accident. No, but already, <laughs> already, hold, hold, hold your horses. Already, you're talking uh-huh. about having a relationship with somebody it's you and your husband so your husband's hair could have gotten in your jeans or your hair would have gotten in his jeans yeah i I shed like a cat man so here we have an old man who's claiming to be this famous young actor who tragically died too young in the 1950s so you would think that okay this is just like some imposter you know, who went in there, the DNA test is obviously going to prove that he is not James Dean, while the DNA proved that he was James Dean because okay. his hair oh, okay, was in the okay. jeans. I got you. I got finally, you. Finally. Finally. We are we are at peace. <laughs> sorry, okay. sorry. I couldn't understand for a minute. I got you. No, sorry. no problem. But that's just like one taste of the kind of things that go on here plus tim he has this doctor named dr san who gives him all this alternative treatment like he puts the acupuncture needles in his face and it causes a face infection that he has to go get treated afterwards and then he does not get i'm not i'm not going to say the v word but you know he does not get the v word for acupuncture his acupuncture is great don't uh don't knock it all right vasectomy uh, a different kind of uh, V word for his son, yeah. who he vampirism. named for his yeah. son, who yes, he named vampirism. Uh, vampirism for his son, who he named Tom Cruise Jr. That was the name that he gave to his son because he wanted him to be a famous actor. His son was the son of uh, Ayaka, who was this Japanese girl that ended up staying with him. But that's a whole what other story. Is and, this? And <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It's like it's the so greatest thing in the world. It's needlessly complicated. And then. And- Listen, it's I, no, I, it's not I, needless I've complicated. Lore. I've got X Men lore in my head. I don't need more wait, bullshit. Th- Let me yeah, tell you all about Excalibur I, 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 and X Force. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. I got, I got to finish this all though. Right. So, okay, so Tom Cruise Jr. did not get, you know what? And when he got sick, Doctor San went out foraging for herbs in their garden, and he was trying to use magnets, and he was like applying, you know, the incest, incense, 
and it did Not nothing. Incest, okay. it, <laughs> it did nothing, and Tom Cruise Jr. ended up dying. And so Tim Heidecker, being the father, he had like this dumb, uh, like fake beard on. You know, like when you paint paint a beard, like makes it look yeah, like you have yeah. stubble. He had that on, and they were doing an episode that was dedicated to you know R.I.P. Tom Cruise Jr. And then all of them, including the doctor, who Tim admitted, you know, you did everything you could. And it was probably like uh, him, uh, like Dr. Sands said, that if he, if he, if the son were to have been taken to the hospital earlier, then he would have died earlier because the hospitals, you know, they're all like death machines. So Tim Aww. ended up having like this tribute song to Tom Cruise. And uh, he said like, oh, it's a bummer. You know, that's how he described the death of his own son. He called it a bummer. And uh, again, this is why I think on cinema is just a brilliant universe because you have this character that's like, I, I can't even describe it. It's amazing. So anyway, we have a comment it, it, from, it, yeah. I, I like Tim Heidecker. I, I really don't understand what you just fucking said, to be honest. <laughs> but, but, but I'll have to look into it. To, Please to look into it. Understand it. Please look into it. Look at the trial of Tim Heidecker. It's good. Just watch that. Watch the entire trial. Anyway, we have a super chat from Maver Christian, five US dollars. Hi, Aiden. I'm on the autism spectrum too, albeit only hey. mildly so. Guy diagnosed a few years ago, well into my thirties. Yeah, it was. Um... Hang on. Goddamn. Everything all right? Uh, what is yeah, going I on? No, I, I literally just like swallowed air wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is going great. Um, so I was diagnosed with autism when I was 21 years old. When I was diagnosed, I told the doctor to go fuck himself. I'm not joking. I told him, you can go fuck yourself. How fucking dare you say this shit about me? I was very upset. <laughs> well, I didn't like friendliness. It. Is <laughs> yeah, I didn't like it at all that that he called me autistic because to me it was an insult, right? And then it wasn't until about like eight years later that I had to be in a mental institution, um, and for other reasons, and they were like, oh, "Okay," because at first they 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 was like bipolar and a bunch of other stuff. I'm like, oh wait, never mind. Because you have to understand too, um, autism in females is very rare. Well, comparatively rare. Um, it can, it, to, to males, it, it made me very mad for a long time in my life to be autistic. But now I don't really give a shit. It's like whatever. Um, it, it does make me a little bit awkward in social situations. And if I don't understand something, sometimes I do apologize. I. They, it's, it's not it is not intentional um but uh autism is just something you gotta we all have those of us who have it have to learn to deal with and you gotta learn to how to it's mostly a social problem so you gotta learn how to deal with it socially um that's all is it a, is it a condition where you uh put certain things certain feelings it group them together in your mind like you put certain you would the analogy be that you would put all the gundams together with the gundams and all the sailor moon figures with the sailor moon figures is that the do you mm. see, no mm. you wouldn't like no i, I would compartmentalize I would, I would, I would, your emotions 
No, I was misdiagnosed with bipolar because the way that... Right. So when you talk about bipolar disorder, we're probably mostly here aware of it, but just be aware of what, to reiterate what bipolar disorder is. The bipolar disorder is, is characterized by about long periods of depression and then short periods of mania or hypomania, depending on the type of bipolar it is. Now, if you're reacting to things bizarrely, uh, that can look like bipolar to an analyst, right? It could look like, oh, you're just being manic right now or something like that. And not understand that it's actually not mania. It's that you, you've got autism. So I was misdiagnosed with bipolar. And that's why they gave me lithium, which, oh my God, please do not fucking take this drug unless you absolutely need to take it because lithium will fuck you up. Uh, lithium is a poison. By definition, it is a poison. I'm not saying if you need to take it, you need to take it. But by definition, lithium is a poison. Be very careful about that drug. Um, the reality is that, that no one expects the Spanish Inquisition. But I mean, no one expects a, a, mm. an adult female who's never presented with it to have autism because uh, the chief weapons are fear and surprise. Hmm. Well, also autism wasn't really recognized until I was an adult. So it was, uh, you know, a a whole different thing. That being said, you you can't use something like autism as an excuse for your own problems with, with processing uh, social situations. Right. Um, you can say like, oh, sorry about that, et cetera, et cetera. And as I've apologized here, you know, before for being autistic, but, but ultimately we do have to deal with our own problem, you know? Definitely. And lithium that's also found in cell phones, by the way, I don't know if there is a, uh, connection there, like the cell phone batteries, those uh, are made out of lithium. No, ion. it's a different type of lithium. The, the, the stuff that's in, um, the pills it's been prescribed to people to prevent serious psychological dysfunction for about a hundred years. You'll be very careful because you can get something called lithium shakes if it's over prescribed. As in, it's a seizure, a seizure that's caused by lithium. Uh. Uh, it, it's one of the most extreme mental health drugs that exists in the world. And it was prescribed to me because they thought, well, looks like you maybe have bipolar. And I just went, okay. It did not help anything for me. I just took it and then I went, okay, well, I'm supposed to be better now, but I wasn't. Be careful about your mental health diagnoses, friends. Yeah, I knew a girl back in, uh, well, my ex-girlfriend in college. She ended up having a shitty day, went to the shrink, and they gave her antidepressants. And now all of a sudden, is it the fact that we're finding out that antidepressants... Exactly. Do nothing. That they... <laughs> they do nothing. We're seeing this now. It's just coming Pay out no now. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. He's the, not the, doing anything. The SSRIs, serotonin reuptake inhibitors, do nothing. I believe it. Well, no, it's, it's, you don't have to believe it. It's been published in the mainstream media now. It was it was published in a bunch of studies. Hmm. The, the serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yes, well, the, the question though is, they do nothing, but they do something as far as they still change people. They change your brain chemistry, but they don't do anything to per, to to help your your depression. So, what exactly do they make you do? The That's SSRIs. The That's the question. What we do know about SSRIs is that they have a very high correlation with 
suicidal ideation, and increased depression. Hmm. So, what, it's what pretty wild that we gave people who are depressed a medicine that makes them more depressed and so <laughs> how, how, how curious right that warning on it is like may cause depression oh thanks <laughs> yeah my, my anti-depression medication is like it may cause depression may cause suicidal ideation what you know the what hell won't is this cause that stuff the amazing spider ham <laughs> that's a comic book that would inspire <laughs> laughter and fun and anybody who picks that one up yeah, I know. Strongly recommend it. Listen, Lev, there's a character in there called the Goose Rider who's a spoof of the Ghost Rider. <laughs> <laughs> I love oh, that comic adorable. book as a kid. I, uh, and I love geese, by the way. There was this uh, farm that I went to. They had the security system geese there. They, uh, when they see you, they tilt their heads down. And they start going at you like a, uh, like a torpedo. And it's, uh, it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Geese are great. Listen, guys, this is the end of the stream. What are you still doing here? Thank you so much for watching. Subscribe, breaktherules.tv, patreon.com slash breaktherules. Become a patron today. There's going to be a lot of big guests coming up right now, and I really appreciate everybody watching. So, yeah, take care, everybody. Have a good night. Anything okay. you guys want to plug, by the way, before we go? Dan Fan. Uh, by the way, your name also sounds a bit like Don Fan, the Pokemon. I don't know if you ever got that before. Uh, yeah, I've heard that a few times. <laughs> So, damn fat, anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, you can find me <laughs> with the name Dan Fan. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. YouTube being the most popular one. I also do my own comics, so feel free to check those out as well. Everybody subscribe to uh, Dan Fan at Trisha Kufari on Twitter. T-R-I-S-H-A-C-U-F-F-A-R-I. And Aiden Paladin, anything you got uh, down the pipeline? Uh, yeah, I have a new video that will be out probably within the next um, four, four or five days, depending on how it works out, on the housing crisis and uh, how home ownership affects people. Uh, that'll be, uh, I've been working on that for a couple of weeks. Um, that'll be up next. Uh, I... I I feel like this is my communist video that I didn't mean to make. I'll be in, maybe in like, I hate capitalism, but it's the way that it is. So um, if you'd like to learn more about the housing crisis, uh, it will be here. Uh, hello, garbage truck. Uh, that'll be it. <laughs> and finally, Charlie Khan, mass bastard. What are you working on? Oh, listen, I've got memes all over Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Uh, I've got the YouTube channel. I've got some D&D videos coming up. Me and my friend Fetusberry. I ran a one-on-one -on -one campaign with him. So that'll be going up soon of us playing D&D &D and me doing lots of silly voices as we tell a story uh, of adventure. Um, the Real Weird Sickos podcast. We've had a lot of big guests on. We just had Vsauce 2 on. Nice. Uh, we had Mudahar on. We've had a lot of big, crazy guests. Look, we're punching way above our weight class. It's real weird. Hell yeah, man. Uh, Ruben Sim we just had on. That was a good one. People should listen to that one. He's the Roblox guy that got sued for over a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. But I got lots of memes everywhere. If everybody likes memes and weird stuff. Uh, I, I started the retro account on, on Twitter. I do lots of stuff. I got a lot of things cooking. Excellent. Everybody subscribe to Real Weird Sickos. 
And thank you guys so much for watching. You can follow me on Twitter at LevPo, L-E-V-P-O. And once again, subscribe to Break the Rules, breaktherules.tv. And that's it, guys. Thank you very much. Mwah!